Hello, listeners. You are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans and is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you'd call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to try to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is episode 43. Alex and I are coming to you live. It is December 29th. It is about 6 p.m. at night here on Wednesday night. Uh, Merry Christmas to all the listeners. Uh, we know we took a, sh- a short little break from yeah. recording. Uh some fast-paced news. Uh, was battling Omicron for a couple days, so uh, had to had to sit had to sit out a couple of days uh, for recording. But you know, he's back and better than ever. Exactly, man. Yeah, exactly. I'm stronger with all the uh, all the all the freaking the antibodies. Antibodies, exactly. Yep, yep. Uh, but you know, coming to you, not much news coming out. I guess Alex, for the past like you know ten days, I think the biggest news we have to say is that Kyle Seeger. Corey Seager's brother uh, officially retiring. Kind of some shocking news because he was a free agent on the free agent market that I think had a lot of promise. I mean, I think a lot of teams actually could have really invested in his market, and he could have been a very nice, productive player. He had career career numbers this past season. I think it was 36, about 34 to 36 homers he had this season. And I think I saw a list today, Alex, that it was the second all-time uh, for home runs for an MLB player's final season. Yeah, I actually have that tweet right here. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, so uh, tweeted by Foolish Baseball. Uh, final Most home runs in a final season in MLB history. Ortiz, David Ortiz, with 38 is the most ever. Second most ever tied is Kyle Seeger and uh, Dave Kingman at 35. And next best is 29 Mike Napoli. So it's kind of a big gap between like tied for second and, and yeah. third. So definitely a crazy way to kind of go out and... I guess just kind of decide to hang it up. And like you said, career year for home runs for him. Um, kind of average by like uh, WRC plus numbers, but like obviously like consistently was in the lineup, putting up RBIs and putting up homers. Could have been productive on a lot of teams. Uh, plenty of teams could use their third baseman. Like I think the Blue Jays were talking about. Yeah. Rumors with the Blue Jays. You can maybe even see that, you know, the Mets already filled up their infield kind of, but there's tons of teams that are like kind of looking for like a Chris Bryant. And if a team missed out on a Chris Bryant type of guy, they could have gone for like a, a Seager, of course. And other teams also like the Texas Rangers. People wanted to see a Seager left side uh-huh, uh, yeah. because they, of course, people want to, you know, I <laughs> think they have the brother relationship on the left side infield. We really cool to see. And he'd stay in the AL West. But um, yeah, I mean, Buster Posey's the first one to retire, and then of course Kyle Seager's a second. Pretty cool, of course, that he stayed his entire career with the Mariners. Again, um, one thing with the Mariners with some of these players, him and Felix Hernandez, it, it just sucks because you look at these great players in their franchise and zero postseason games played. They could never get to a playoff game, uh, which is sad to say the least. But um, well, one more thing on that, uh, interesting you brought it up. So with Seager's retirement, Travis, uh, he was the uh, active player with the most uh, games played in the career without making the postseason. He was the leader. Now he is retired, obviously. Yeah. So now the leader is Gene Segura, and second place 
is JT Realmuto. So there's wow. some there's some Phillies who have been struggling to make the postseason, and hopefully they can you know see a change of tide in the future. And that yeah, that's that make that's a good point because you're right because Realmuto he, he kind of got lost when he played for Miami, and then of course gets traded to Philly, and yeah, I mean hasn't made a trip to October just yet, but hopefully that'll change in the next couple of coming seasons. But uh, yeah. Good career by Kyle Seeger. I I don't think uh, he's really on the radar in our, our eyes for you know Hall of Fame Cooperstown. Um, no. Good player, great player, but uh, will I think he honestly could be a guy that will get his number retired possibly by the Mariners. I think so. I think he's an all time uh, third baseman for them. So uh, Kyle Seeger hangs it up. Uh, and the last image I think we saw was uh, him playing the Angels and him coming yeah. off the field. We saw him in his second last career game. Yeah, Travis. yeah, exactly. You're right. You're right. And. Uh, Poor, you know, it sucks, but Jared Walsh had to kind of end his career. Yeah, that, 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 that is definitely true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, good career by Kyle Seeger. Uh, wonder what he's going to be doing next, if he's going to be working in the Mariners front office or doing anything like that. Honestly, he could become a good manager one day or even like a hitting coach. Um, really, uh, honestly, his, his brother, I think we all can agree, has a little bit of a, a better skill set when it comes to hitting. I think the upside, yeah. But still, Kyle Seeger was, I think, the only, really for the last decade, I think he was the only really the, the consistent piece in that Mariners lineup that you knew, okay, he's hitting in the middle of the lineup. He's a dangerous bat in their lineup. So uh, great, great career. He played with a lot of great players um, spanning, I think, all the way from each row now all the way to kind of the young guys. Yeah, you, know, you look at Julio Rodriguez and then also um, the right fielder. I'm forgetting his name yeah, right K now. Kelnick. Kelnick, yep, yep. So uh, kind of, you know, passing the torch along. But Alex, this episode is going to be, of course, wrapping up the all-time franchise teams, and we're going to be doing the NL East today uh, for that. And, of course, a lot of successful teams in the NL East. Um, your World Series champion from this past year came out of the NL East. Actually, yep. if you look at the last two 162-game full seasons, uh, always want to throw out that 2020 season, uh, the last two champions Sorry, came Peter. from the NL East. So uh, as of late, a very successful division in baseball. Uh, and so, Alex, we will start off today with the World Series champions, the Atlanta Braves. Um, and we'll cover, of course, going through their catcher all the way down to their outfielders, the five starting pitchers, and then, of course, the ninth inning reliever. So covering a little bit of brief history on the Braves, they actually have a bunch of different name changes. So, of course, they started out in Boston and they started out in 1876. They're actually 146 years old, the franchise. Uh, started out as the Boston Red Stockings from 1876 to 1882. And then in 1883, they changed their name to an interesting name called the Boston Bean Eaters. I like that. So lasted for um, about 20 years, went from 1883 to 1906, 1907, changed it to the Boston Doves. And that lasted till 1910. And then in 1911, they changed their name to the Boston rustlers and that only lasted one season they were changing a lot only lasted one season and i guess i i really know the reason why is because that season they went 44 and 107 had a 291 winning percentage so i think they just said this name ain't gonna work at all and they went to the boston braves in 1912 that lasted to 1952 53 they moved to milwaukee became the milwaukee braves and then of course in 1965 they moved to atlanta uh, 66, 1966 to now, of course, they are the Atlanta Braves. So they've been the Braves for over 100 years, starting in Boston, went to Milwaukee, and then now in Atlanta. So, Alex, we will start off with the all-time Atlanta Brave or Braves catcher. Um, I'll let you start off for this one. 
Okay, so Travis, when I started this, I just wrote someone down, and in my mind, they were the easy pick. And then I did research, and I had to change it. There's someone I'm very surprised to be including, but my all-time Braves catcher is Brian McCann. I look. I looked him up. I I I know what you mean. <laughs> which, which way did you go, Travis? So I went Joe Torre. Okay, um, that's who I wrote written down, of course. Yeah, at first I, I know. I know. I and definitely, I, I was thinking of Braves catchers, and you know, for me, I look, I think back, and I say, you know, Brian McCann probably was the catcher I can the most remember from, I guess, my upbringing with baseball, as far as I can remember, Brian McCann's been there. Javi Lopez has been there just when I started learning how to play baseball. So he was there, of course, in the the 90s and then the early 2000s, had a really good uh, career. Brian McCann, a great slugger, a lot of home runs. But for me, um, Joe Torre, of course, was the guy that I first thought of. Uh, He, of course, I think we all remember him as being just a great manager. He's a Hall of Fame manager. But Alex, going through the numbers, uh, 57 and a half war. Uh, in his career, he had over 2,300 hits, over 250 homers, almost batted 300 in his career uh, as a total. Uh, played nine seasons with Atlanta and then six with St. Louis. And actually, in St. Louis, that's where he won the MVP one of the years. Yeah. But uh, had some MVP finishes with um, the Braves. But yeah, with the Braves, of course, he batted 294, had an OPS plus of 130, had an OPS of 818. So good percentage stat number. Of course, almost 150 home runs and doubles in his t- in his nine years in Atlanta. So um, really liked what he brought to the table. Very good offensive numbers. So I went that way. Tell me why you went McCann. Yeah, so I love the, how you highlighted, you know, the bat on a, on Joe Torre. Uh, I think the bat was better for Torre. I'm not going to I'm not going to die on that hill there. I think that, you know, Peak seasons, you know, a 135 OPS plus from McCain in 08 is still very good. You know, he was an all-star in like six straight years there for Atlanta where he was batting over 100 OPS plus. And I think the underrated aspect, Travis, was the defense. Many folks might not know this, but um, doing some digging on on fan graphs, some of the defensive numbers on McCann are really astounding. Travis, season by season, like Yadier Molina kind of numbers, sometimes better yeah. in terms of like the framing and like just kind of some stuff that um, I feel like I was not keeping track of when I was watching him play. You know, yeah. when I was watching him play as a kid, I'm like, oh, you know, he's a good catcher. He's an all star. But I think, you know, looking at some of the numbers, I think he is kind of slept on in a lot of ways. So um, for me, he he just got the edge. I think that um, some of the defense in his prime years and then the bat was like a consistent, like around a 120 OPS plus kind of guy. So. Um, I liked McCann for the pick. Uh, I Joe Torre is definitely more of like a more of a legend, I'd say. And he has the kind of interesting thing where he ended up moving the third base a bit, first base a bit um, when he went to the Cardinals. Obviously, as a Brave, he's most known as a catcher. So, you know, fair play there. I just felt like going with the defensive backstop in my mind. And uh, yeah, I, I, had, I had to go with McCann. I like the numbers a lot. Yeah, no, we're I honestly looking at McCann too. Um, he was I, it was between him and Tory uh, yeah. to say the least. At least when you look at catchers, and at least they had two or three good catchers that you had a good pick from. I feel like some of these franchises, you literally look at it and it's like I don't even know who to pick. It's such a toss up. I mean, you literally have to look at almost WAR or even just like one stat line. You're like, okay, I'm gonna go so, with something, that. Something will stand out to you, right? Exactly, and, exactly. And for, for for me, for McCann, the thing that really stood out, um, the defense really helped his Fangraphs WAR. I think Fangraphs WAR for catchers. I think they you know, look into framing and stuff like that. Um, 
you know, there's no one stat that should be perfect, but I just saw an 8.6 Fangraphs war in 2008 is crazy. That's yeah. a, that's an MVP season, but no one talks about him as an MVP no. kind of guy. No, no, So no. he had an 8.6 and then three straight years above a six war for Fangraphs war. So for me, I thought he was slept on. I just wanted to sneak him in here, and I think I think he deserves it. So Nice, nice. Uh, Alex, we will now move to the right side of the infield. And for me, I'm actually going with the guys that were on the team last year, Alex. So, of course, first base, Freddie Freeman has to be the guy 12th all-time in Braves war. And also, I feel like he's just been there for such a long time, 10-plus years with the program. Uh, he is the pick. And then, honestly, second base for me was really tough when looking at the Braves. I could not really find... Uh, too much of a, I want to, I don't want to say successful second baseman that's, you know, been there for a lot of years and also, uh, provided very good numbers for me. Ozzy Albies had to be the guy only because I think the year that he put up this past season, uh, winning a silver slugger, uh, and also hitting 30 home runs at the second base spot. Honestly, the percentage stats, when you look at batting average all the way down to OPS plus, they're not really impressive at right. all for me. Um, I think also with having decently good defense as well um that had to also be on my radar two silver sluggers in his career or at least in his five years with atlanta and then of course this year he finished uh 13th in mvp voting so he of course was my pick uh not, like i said not much of a, a crazy selection to go with i just thought ozzy albies having a ring uh being a good postseason player this past year uh had to be on my list so that is my right side of the infield alex who do you got yeah freeman at first base makes uh all the sense in the world it has to be him if he continues to you know resign with the team and extend his legacy there he's going to go down as one of their best you know players period let alone first baseman so um and it's crazy looking at like even like war because he has a 43.1 war and you're like man if he's he, got a if, lot of years to go he has a lot of years to go but you're but I'm, I'm you're thinking man he could easily finish in the top 10 but you look at number 10 it's andrew jones and he's at 61 so you think about freeman he's got to go 20 spot 20 points up for war i think he can do it but it's almost like it, it's such a far gap when you look at the atlanta braves that's true all-time war leaders i mean they go all the way up to the yeah. great henry aaron who of course is going to be high high on that war list but um give me who your second base spot's going to be yeah so second base um i went with a guy who's kind of a, a sneaky pick uh i didn't know about him until doing the research but his name is ron gant um he is uh played a lot of left field for the team and some center field too, but his first two seasons he played uh, second base, and he actually got fourth in rookie of the year voting in 1988 as a second baseman. So um, overall, his offense, you know, it, it, it's it's. I had him and Albies written down, and I went with him because he's kind of. Uh, I like the OPS plus a little bit better, but honestly, like it's probably very comparable to Albies. Um, some good stolen base numbers here by by uh, by Ron Gant. Um, gotten to about like 20 to 30 stolen bases some years 34 it was kind of his max as a as an atlanta brave um his best ops plus year was a, a 139 ops plus that's for a full season in 1990 got some mvp votes but never you know he maxed out at a fifth place mvp finish uh overall travis i think it's pretty comparable pick to albies his war never jumped off the table to me i he had a 6.5 war one season but you know um I like to pick for Gant, uh, primary outfielder, but played second base for two seasons. So I went with him. Um, I agree that there was it was kind of difficult to find the right option for second base for the yep, team. Yep. First base was like a total slam dunk. First base was a slam dunk, Travis. But I do want to shout out real quick, um, McGriff. Yeah. I think just no, exactly a complete stud. But he's the kind of guy that 
played like five years with the Braves, five years with the Rays, five years with the Blue Jays, and he's not going to really be like on I those know. all-time teams for those kind of squads just because he, there's other options, I guess. But um, he's going to be on a lot of honorable mention lists, I guess. No, exactly. He He's a guy that I feel like on all those lists we made bounced around and you're like, I, he's got to be like almost like if we had a bench spot, he'd be on it. But it just yeah. sucks that he could not play like 15 years with one squad. He'd be an all-timer for that team. Um, and it sucks that like that's how he is for the hall of fame too like, exactly he got barely left out and i feel like it's because he didn't have like a an identity because Ex- his, you're right he was not in the 500 home run club and he's not in like the 3000 hit club but he's right outside of the 500 home run hit club and it's it just sad it's yeah just, it's like didn't even have didn't even have a home and had some good years in san diego as well um yeah he's he's i feel like he's left on an island of misfit toys or something like that for fred mcgriff but um that is our right side alex left side I'm going to let you know it got a little interesting and I, I had to do a little bit of I'm not going to say cheating, but I had to get Karis, a little unfair. Karis, I, know, I know what you're talking about. You know, when you got the you got third base on the Atlanta Braves, you, you really got two guys only and you really can't pick one because, hey, one guy played a little shortstop in his time. So for me, third base, Eddie Matthews, shortstop. I had Chipper Jones um, that left side, Alex, the defense might not be the prettiest. It probably is still pretty good. Chipper Jones still having a good glove. Um, it just tells you how versatile he was playing short, third, and also outfield. But that left side, Alex, it is surely dangerous when it comes to the hitting. Um, I'm going to be guessing you might have a very similar one. Yeah, Charles, we agree. Um, we both made the same rule exception. I think it makes uh, it makes too much sense for the uh, to include both those guys. Matthews and Jones are both uh, complete Hall of Fame you know, they're Hall of Famers, but they were complete locks when they, they were kind of having their Hall of Fame kind of discussion. They're both, you know, inner circle guys almost in my mind. Um, you know, uh, for Jones, Travis, uh, 85 baseball reference war in his career. That's all with the Braves, right? 150 stolen bases, uh, uh, over a 400 on base. Like, there's so much to like about his career numbers. 141 OPS plus. Um, and then, of course, Matthews, Travis, over 500 home runs. He had some of the best early see early see early career seasons ever. Like he was a young guy, like early twenties, just putting up like fifty home runs, just like you know out of nowhere. Um, they both had to be in this team, so I we made the same exact thing. You know, Chipper Jones can play some shortstop, sacrifice the defense a bit, and it's completely worth it for the offense. Definitely, definitely, and I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you look at the total hitting on that left side; it is it goes up there with the all time greats. So um, glad, of course, we saw both. Uh, players, of course, fitting into that left side of the infield. Alex, uh, moving to the outfield for the Braves organization, I thought this was, of course, going to be a pretty much slam dunk pick. Um, for me, it starts with Hank Aaron. Center field, it has to be Andrew Jones. And then I also squeezed in for the last outfield spot, Dale Murphy, another kind of snub for the Hall of Fame. Uh, back-to-back MVPs for Dale Murphy. And that's, of course, always talked about when they talk about maybe Veterans Committee for him. And then, of course, just being an all-around good player when it comes to the war. Andrew Jones currently on the ballot. Honestly, when we do our episodes, Alex, I will have to do a huge evaluation of Andrew Jones. I've looked in his numbers the past couple of weeks and months, and they kind of just jump out to me. The first 10 years of Andrew Jones's career, he was on pace for, honestly, Willie Mays numbers and you know was an incredible player gold gloves every single year um for him and then left field Hank Aaron I mean it's not really up for debate at all he leads the organization in war and also you know beat Barry Ruth home run record so yeah that's my outfield Alex yeah Charles we agree again uh Aaron uh Jones Murphy are also my picks um Aaron nothing needs to be said just the franchise guy the face of the franchise 
we'll be talking about him later on, Travis, in our all-time NL team and our NL East team and our probably our All-MLB team will yep. be somewhere in the mix. Yep. So, um, yeah, nothing more needs to be said here on Aaron. He's the obvious pick. Andrew Jones, Travis, I like what you said. Um, I, If I'm not mistaken, I think he leads all-time in defensive war for baseball reference. I think he's the all-time best defender, according to them. Um, I think he's just barely ahead of Willie Mays, which is really crazy to think, but um, I'm excited to talk about him for Hall of Fame. I'm glad you brought that up because I personally think he gets underrated on that kind of ballot because he, it, like a great argument that I hear people say online, if I told you the best defensive center fielder ever had over 400 home runs, how are you not going to put him in the Hall of Fame? That's a crazy kind of uh, duality he has going for him. So, um, great, great uh, numbers for Jones, I think. And then Dale Murphy, Travis, I like what you said about him too. The back-to-back MVPs really makes me think of Christian Yelich as a good comparison. Um, just because Yelich had like the MVP finish and then this... The, Should have been. <laughs> the second year, which was even better than his first year, but he just got hurt at the very end and didn't get the award. But um, I think the peak numbers on Dale Murphy speak for themselves. They're really, really good. Um, and no one else really comes really close. I will mention, Travis, quick shout out to uh, Billy Hamilton. And this is not the Billy Hamilton of the modern days. Yeah. This is Billy <laughs> Hamilton of the 1800s, Travis. I'm sure you probably came across his numbers while doing the research for the Braves, too. Definitely. It's just some crazy, crazy numbers. He had some crazy seasons, and he would be on this team over Dale Murphy for me if he played in the 20th century, but he did not. He was out of our kind of range, and uh, he got disqualified for that. But just a shout out. Billy Hamilton, if his if his great grandkids are listening, he was all <laughs> he was all over the uh, when you look at like top ten leaders in hitting stats for Atlanta Braves history. You look at uh, Hank Aaron; he's his name pops up everywhere. But of course, you look at Billy Hamilton; his he's almost in the top three, almost for a bunch of hitting stats. But of course, we want to of course follow the rules and try yeah. to at least get nineteen hundreds to present day players in it. But great offense, Alex. Great list uh, for that. We'll move now to the starting pitching, Alex, and this is some of the most dominating performers I've ever seen in my could, entire could life. Could be the most stacked list, but we'll it talk is. about that, yeah. It is. So for me, Alex, my five, I have Warren Spahn, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, Phil Necro. Go. Same five. Yeah, <laughs> Maddox. Five. I, I wrote it in a different order, but the order doesn't really yeah. matter. I have Maddox, Glavin, Spahn, Necro, and Smoltz. The interesting thing, Travis, is Smoltz, I almost th- – there are, there are other – great pitchers for the franchise so i thought maybe i should save smoltz for like my bullpen yeah. but then there's a great guy for a bullpen too so You're right let me just shove smoltz into the into the starting rotation we'll just go all in on the starters we'll save that guy we're both thinking about for the bullpen um travis i think there's just you know obviously you have the big three maddox glavin smoltz all being teammates dominic kind of in the same era spawn was just like a total like good for a really long time for the Braves, just like an accumulator of stats. I think he was on the Milwaukee Braves for quite a bit of time. I think he was a teammate of Hank Aaron, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Um, yeah. He started, I I think, even in the 40s. Yeah, 42, he started um, with uh, the Boston Braves, went to Milwaukee, and, wow, I think he just honestly got moved right before they went to Atlanta. So almost spent, I know, a career in Boston, Milwaukee, and also Atlanta. Another freak guy who, of course, dedicated three years of his time to military service. And Alex, uh-huh. this guy had uh, 363 wins. And if he played three seasons in his prime young time, he'd be 400-game winner. Yep. He'd be on a very short list when you look at 400 wins and above, uh, probably top five wins of all time, Warren Spahn. So uh, pretty incredible and a 309 ERA. Something about this list, Alex, that I love is that th- four of the five 
players on this list have 300 or more wins. I mean, that that, that right there just is incredible. And the other one was a closer. Exactly. Career, one of them got so, moved. Yeah. And, and Smoltz, of course, was years. one of the most dominant guys in the 90s before he got moved to a reliever and closer. So um, this starting pitching list is full of names that are legends when it comes to the Hall of Fame and Cooperstown. So um, with that, Alex, let's move to the ninth inning guy for me, Craig Kimbrell pretty easy pick i am so high on craig kimbrell i know i look at his early stats with the atlanta braves i think he started out in 2010 or might have been 2009 but he was electric coming out honestly when he started coming into the games uh in his in his first couple seasons he was putting up of course better numbers than mariano rivera i think a lot of people are always compared to with rivera because rivera of course was the standard when it came to closing out games uh, Kimbrell was electric. So he, of course, is my ninth inning guy. Alex, who do you got? Yeah, Travis, we agree. It's Craig, it's Craig Kimbrell. I don't think anyone's really that close. Um, you know, if Smoltz, if for some reason the the rotation was too stacked and you had to put Smoltz back here, Kimbrell probably honestly edges him out, even though Smoltz is more of like a legend. And that's just because, Travis, if in terms of... So the way I really like to evaluate players is just on peak performance, peak dominance and peak numbers on Kimbrel are just pretty untouchable for relievers, honestly. Um, he had, I'm looking at his Atlanta Braves, so there's five years there, a 266 ERA plus across five years as being a relief pitcher for them. That's just crazy. Um, led uh, the National League in saves four straight years. That's just pretty much his entire career there, except for his first year where he only pitched for, uh, what, 21 games, so... Uh, yeah, Travis, the ERA never went above 2.1 in a season as a Brave. So, um, obviously, obviously, uh, an all-time great little stretch of seasons for, for a closing pitcher. Um, he has to be the pick. And Travis, it's crazy. In his first, in his rookie season, he got MVP votes as a rookie closer. I feel like that's, how many guys have done that? That's probably pretty rare. Crazy. And he also finishing top 10 in Cy Young as a rookie as well. Of course, a one rookie, rookie, the, rookie of the year, you know, easily blow away of that. But then, of course, you look at the next years, his sophomore uh, and his junior year, finishing in the top five both years in Cy Young. Um, pretty incredible. And, and you just look at the start to his career. I mean, 210 ERA, and then it goes down to a 101, a 121, a 161. Um, I mean, you're floating around probably a 1.3 for your first, honestly, three, four seasons. Um, that that's just that's just incredible, right there. So, uh, Craig Kimbrell has to, of course, be as a ninth inning guy. He's an all timer. He'll be a very interesting guy when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Currently, is the active leader in saves with 372. Um, and then, of course, interesting to see how he um, is going to be evaluated when the lockout ends. If you know a lot of teams want to go after and get him, I think. Right now, Alex, um, I know he finished his season with the Chicago White Sox, but free agent right now, is is that still? No, I, I think that they're having him on the trade market. Okay. I think they have, okay. him, they have him for one more season, but they're shopping him because they kind of realized that... Uh, him and Hendricks really... Uh, it's a cool idea on paper, yeah. but I think the one thing I'll say is Kimbrell very clearly thrived as a closer, ninth inning only for the Cubs immediately goes to the White Sox, becomes like a middle reliever kind of guy for like high leverage situations and struggles there. So definitely, um, yep. I see why they want to kind of part ways um, and they can get, they can, I'm sure they can, can, they can get good value in return. Yeah. But what I will say is Travis, I'm not sure why they didn't go uh, Hendricks more in the flex role, like the seventh and eighth inning, because I feel like he likes going like 
like eighth inning. more than just the ninth. Because yeah. he, he likes to come in, like put him in the seventh, and he'll go seventh and eighth. Yeah. And then you go Kimball, something yeah. like that. But no, no, that's very true. I, at the end of the day, um, I think they're going to move him. So I'm excited to see where he ends up. And even going back to those days where it had Blake, Blake Trinan closing for the Oakland A's when Hendricks was on the Oakland A's, it was Hendricks, honestly, seventh, eighth, and then it was Trinan in the ninth. So um, you're, you're right when you bring up that point. And of course, Kimbrell's always been the guy that's always been locked down. 372 saves career. He's he, this past season, he was age 33. Interesting to see if he can somehow muster to get to 500 saves in his career. He'd have to get about 130 uh, in the next. I mean, I, I'm thinking, I mean, how many years he has left? I mean, closers, of course, I feel like sometimes they are done at 33. I, I mean, they, I, I think if he finds the right team, he can, he can definitely do yeah. it. It's going to come down to finding the right team. And uh, a team that wants to use you in the ninth inning and a team that's going to put you in a lot of safe situations. Definitely. If you can find that spot, maybe like a Padres or something like that. If you can just get a really good team that's going to have, you know, 90 wins or something. Um, obviously, they didn't have 90 wins last year, but I'm just kind of theorizing for yeah. the future. If if he gets on a successful team that is going to put him in lots of close games. The only reason why my Lance in so many saves is because the Padres were in a lot of close games. He yeah. got, got the saves. Kimber could do that too. And it's interesting that he has one year at the Padres. And honestly, it's just a year that I really did not I, I just I mean, must have really never even known. I mean, it's kind of like yeah. he spent one year at the Padres in 2015. It, it's it's I think, honestly, that was the year that he must have got traded with. I think it might have been even like a Justin or BJ or Melvin Upton Jr. to San Diego for some players. But um, spent a year with Padres already. But of course, I think we all remember him, too, from Boston, those epic playoff games where he was just closing things out had great numbers with boston uh era pluses honestly with boston in his three years were all yeah they're all above 132 so he of course was elite in those seasons but alex that pretty much sums up the atlanta braves a very very good franchise very good performers um but we'll move now to the next one and we'll go to the team alex that honestly had pretty much made the most noise this offseason we'll go to the new york mets the mets have been around for 60 years and at all of them have been with an, as a New York Met, never really changed the name. 1962 to, of course, present day. Um, we'll start with the catcher, Alex, and pretty easy. It's Mike Piazza for me. Who do you got? Mike Piazza, yeah, it has to be. Um, I barely snubbed him off my Dodgers team, but the Mets, <laughs> That's right, he yeah. had more years there as a Met, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and I think just a lot of big moments for the team and just one of the best catchers, you know, top five, top, you know, six or seven catcher ever probably so yeah, yeah. he has to be he has to be the guy one of the best hitting catchers of all time mike piazza so he of course gets that spot for the right side alex first and second base first base i went keith hernandez for me um not too many actually you know big standout i feel like first base there there's a couple for a short stint but keith hernandez was there for a while won the championship in 86 with them and then also for second base i went Edgardo Alfonso uh, played with them during the early stages of the 2000s, I think even the late 90s as well, um, and was kind of a sneaky slugger, I would say, for that second base spot. So that's my right side of the infield. Who do you got for yours? Yeah, Travis, so far we are perfect. Keith Hernandez and Edgardo Alfonso are both my picks as well. Keith Hernandez, Travis, I think there's not, I think, I can't think of any player that's like not a Hall of Famer that gets so much praise from like yeah. people who are fans of his team because Mets fans who are like, you know, watching during his era, they just talk about how much value he added on both sides of the ball. Um, I think sometimes, Great defender. sometimes that kind of eye test of just like the guys who you love watching can like mislead you. But I think in his case, um, obviously very highly impactful. Um, and, a, and a big, uh, I think, standout on Seinfeld too. Had a couple episodes in there so? as well. Yeah. I think, I, I yeah. think I, <laughs> that's <laughs> funny you bring that up, but... Uh, yeah, Charles. I think just you know the contact he provided and the great defense. Um, 
a very solid pick. Other guys had like either short. I think a couple guys had like short stints, like John uh, Olerud yep. and Carlos Delgado, like had these really short stints with the team. But in terms of like putting up a, uh, a solid chunk of your career, there, Keith Hernandez was the easy pick. Edgardo Alfonso Travis. I think there's really no one that was close. Um, his numbers for his career um, as a Met second baseman, like I could not even find one other guy that like really uh, compares. So I just went with Edgardo yep. for that reason. Yeah, and even even a nine. 67 OPS in 2000. Um, that was a 147 OPS plus as a second baseman. That, of course, right there is is th- yeah. that's just impressive, right there. No one, no one touched that. And so, yeah, 25 homers and 40 doubles, uh, and posted a 324 batting average. Second baseman finished 15th in MVP. It's kind of funny when you look at these numbers and you're like 15th in MVP right now today. That'd be probably a top five. And of course, you go back to 2000 NL. There were just different human beings playing in the league. So. Uh, he does have a silver slugger, of course, but was kind of playing during that uh, kind of successful, nice Mets era when they went to the World Series in 2000. We're always in the playoffs. I feel like battling the Atlanta Braves in those late 90s and early 2000s. But for the right side, Alex, that's who we got. Left side, I know we're probably on the same third baseman. Um, I'll just say it, David Wright. He is pretty much almost Mr. Met kind of just because of his durability, how long he was with the team, um, and just always being consistently there I will say the injuries, of course, got in the way a lot. He had a lot of injuries later on in his career. Um, I feel like he actually had the same almost career length and also start and end as like a Joe Maurer. I think they honestly ended the same time, and they also started around the same time. Um, but David Wright is my third baseman. Shortstop, I went with one of his teammates, Jose Reyes, Alex. Um I know me and you, Jose Reyes was a guy that we love playing with on our video games. Um, I, I think, lots of speed, lots of triples. <laughs> and so Jose Reyes, of course, was a great guy to pl- uh, play with at least, or at least watch in that 2005 to 2000, like eight, nine era for the Mets. Um, they went to the NLCS in 2006 and that season he hit, he hit 300, had an 841 OPS. Uh, nothing of course, crazy when it came to like the OPS plus numbers had a 119 OPS in 2008, but every single season, it was like, he was leading the, um, he was leading the MLB in triples and also stolen bases. So just an insane speedster on the base pass and also provided some good pop as well. And also RBIs. So, um, definitely was a top guy for me, but who do you got for your left side, Alex? Travis, we're still batting perfect. We're still we're perfect, still uh, we're still batting a thousand. So David Wright is my third baseman. Travis, um, for me, Travis David Wright was one of my favorite players in video games as a kid. Uh, it, pretty much every every like time I had like a time to do like a my like my franchise team whatever yeah. and, and mode in the video game, I would trade for David Wright. I wanted David Wright on my team all the time. <laughs> he was my favorite. I loved him as a kid, and it's really sad that he's you know, not really a Hall of Fame threat in my mind. I think a lot of people yeah. are saying he's not going to get there because of the injuries. But honestly, Travis, 50, 50 career war, base reference, that is, you have to be in the question. You have to be, you're making a case at that point. Is he going to get it? I think no. But 50 base reference war, yeah, 49.2 to be exact. And yeah, I, I think a lot of people aren't, aren't going to give him the credit, but um, the injuries did definitely get in the way of his career from becoming uh, a hall of fame, like lock kind of guy. But yeah. so, some of the, some of the OPS numbers in his, in his peak are, are really great. He's like batting like 150 OPS plus in some years with playing, you know, gold glove defense, you know, Travis, some of the crazy like highlights you see of him, like barehanded catch over his shoulder kind of stuff. Like just, uh, just, just great memories, uh, you know, seeing his highlights and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jose Reyes, Travis, we agree. Um, he's the pick for me. It was not like a lock. 
Uh, Howard Johnson, honorable mention, he had some good peak seasons, but he kind of roved around the outfield and shortstop as well, kind of utility man with some good numbers. But Jose Reyes, um, I think, consistently had, a, I, I, I guess, like the war, the base running, some good defense kind of contributed to like a more, I guess, stable shortstop in my mind. So um, I went with Jose. Some of the steals in his prime drivers are really crazy. One of the fastest players of his generation for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the bat, it was usually not that far above average, but I think there's enough he has going for him in terms of the extra bases definitely. and the base running and all that. No, definitely. That left side um, provides a lot of just dangerous tools uh, when you look at the game. You have the sure. speed and the overall defense on that left side, which is great. And then, of course, the power from David Wright triples, you know, from Jose Reyes. I mean, it, it, it's an exciting uh, left side for Mets history. So I'm glad, of course, we agreed on that. But moving to the outfield, Alex, for the New York Mets. Um, I'll let you start first with that. Give me your three, and then I'll have my rebuttal. Okay, so, Travis, three guys. First off, uh, Cleon Jones is going to be my outfield. Uh, did not know much about him before doing the research. Um, I liked his career. Uh, Carlos Beltran, Travis, makes my outfield. And Daryl Strawberry will round out my outfield. So give me your three. Daryl Strawberry, uh, Easy pick. Some of the numbers are honestly pretty insane. Carlos Beltran as well. Um, great, great performer. I think I, 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 I remember him as a Met the most. If you look at Carlos Beltran's career, but of course, if you look back at his stats, I think you have to look back at that Houston Astros postseason that he had. I think it was like seven or eight homers, and just what he was able to do. I think it was 2004 for the Houston Astros. But Carlos Beltran is, of course, on my outfield. But the last outfielder, Alex, I actually went with Howard. Johnson okay. um, for that. And for honestly, the main reason, um, you know, he had a stint where he basically had in three seasons in, um, let's see, it was 1989 and 1991, uh, finished in the top five in MVP both those years and won Silver Sluggers. 1991 actually almost uh, got, uh, I'm not going to say almost got the triple crown, but of course he led the NL in home runs and RBIs. Of course, I think the average was really, really low, 259. I think he probably was nowhere close for the average, but at least leading two of the categories in triple crown, uh, honestly kind of just jumps out there for, for that. And of course, winning silver slugger those years, um, posted some really good numbers. I thought with the Mets, um, a 124 OPS plus in his nine years with them. That's the reason I want him. Give me why you went. Uh, Cleon. Cleon, that's right. Cleon Jones. So Cleon Jones, Travis, um, I just like some of the peak numbers. A 151 OPS plus was his best mark for that stat uh, as a Met, and that was in the year uh, 1969, it looks like. Yeah, 151 OPS plus that year. Uh, seventh in MVP that year. So the MVP votes that you're talking about, that that is definitely going to be an advantage um, that your guy has over mine. Um, I just like some of the on-base numbers here for uh, Cleon Jones in his prime over a 400 in uh, 1969. A couple other years, he was, you know, up in like the 380s. Um, so I, overall, um, I can see the argument for both really, but uh, I, I just went with this really good season that uh, Cleon had in 69 to kind of lock in, uh, lock him in from my spot really. He had a seven base reference for that year. So really impressive season by him. Uh, and he made my outfield for that reason really. Perfect, perfect. Um, that, I mean, really sums up the, the Mets lineup and the Mets roster for the position players. Um, we'll now move to the starting pitching, Alex. Um, more dominance, just more, like more dominance. And I would say that, yeah, the first two, if not three are pretty much already just locks yeah. into this organization. Um, I'll start Alex, Tom Seaver, Jacob DeGrom, Dwight Gooden, Dwight Gooden, honestly, one of the craziest starts to a career, 
had arguably one of the top pitching seasons of all time. If you go back and look at the numbers, the last two, Alex, I had are Jerry Kuzman. And lastly, I had Al Leiter, um, Al Leiter pitching with them in the late nineties uh, and also the uh, early two thousands. He is, I think top 13 in war for the New York Mets, but played seven years with the Mets had a three, four, two ERA in those seven years. That was a one twenty four ERA plus. And honestly was somewhat of kind of like, I wouldn't say really their, maybe he was their ace in the 90s and the 2000s, but I just know he was, of course, in it for a lot of big games. Spent a couple of years before that in Florida, won a championship with the Marlins, and then, of course, went to the Mets. But that's my five, Alex. Who do you got for year five? Yeah, Travis, almost almost the same. Um, but Seaver, Gooden, DeGrom, Travis, I agree. They're locks. Um, Seaver is like their all-time pitcher. When they're um, top four in uh Mets war, you just gotta yeah. <laughs> you gotta you, almost you, include them. You're pretty much you're pretty much in. Like you said, Gooden, one of the best seasons ever by a by a starting pitcher. Really, I think his war was up there. Like it was almost like a 14 war or something crazy like that. I don't have the number in front of me, but um, yeah, that 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 season by him, Travis in 1985, is one of the best. Uh, he won the Cy Young. He had a 1.53 ERA with 276 innings pitched. The ERA was the best in baseball. The innings pitched was the best in the National League with also 16 complete games. So being a total workhorse and kind of being that good at run prevention and also going that many innings got him a 12.2 base reference score, which is just a really crazy number for a pitcher in the 80s. Um, Travis and then DeGrom, I think, is someone who is going to continue adding to his resume. But for now, um, he already makes this list. Um, Round out my, my five, Travis. I have John Matlack and then Jerry Kuzman. So... Matlack was the difference we had, I guess. So I'll go ahead and talk about him a little bit. Um, Matlack, uh, he has a, ro- a rookie of the year as a Met. He only pitched there for seven years, so less than than lighter. But um, his peak seasons, he had two different seasons, both with 34 games pitched, um, that had over a 140 ERA plus, a 149 ERA plus in in 74 and the 145 ERA plus in his rookie year in uh, 72. So some really great peak seasons by him. I liked, I guess he just kind of put in work in the early 70s. Um, not the longevity of, of lighter with the team, but I like his numbers anyways. Definitely good. Um, ERAs, honestly, are pretty, uh, they go, of course, Matlax, and then, of course, the ERA pluses. They'll they'll trend towards Al Leiter, of course, with the with the era he was pitching in. Yeah. Um, so uh, definitely a good pick on that. And I think Matlax, honestly, is top, was he top ten in uh in in a war for the entire organization? He, he is top. He might be eleven. Eleven. Wow. So he is uh, a, just a, a behind cra- Jose Reyes. A crazy nine point one base reference war in seventy four for him. Um, wow. With the fifty thousand dollar a year salary, I'm seeing, which is wow, did uh, not know that. Which is good value on the dollar, I guess. No, <laughs> it definitely is. Uh, that's actually a good uh, you know peak season right there for that. I don't think Leiter at all probably performed with that much uh, you know. Are value you, in one are, season are you putting up nine more travis with your salary for your job <laughs> uh yeah if i if, if i am then you know i'm getting a pay increase because that's pretty incredible but um that's that's pretty much the list alex i know the top four the top three of course are the standouts siever Degrom, gooden easy easy picks kuzman of course a lot of longevity he is fifth on the all-time war for a new york met it's crazy to even look at Degrom because right now he's sitting at a 43.4 war and honestly, if he can have a, I would say, full season of health next year, if he can have, provide six war next year, he will be second in the Mets all-time war. That's crazy. Um, so already going to pass right now. It looks like it's going to pass Dwight Gooden and also 
David Wright for the second place spot for the Mets war. So just pray you can get that kind of guy with health. It's like with him and Trout, you just pray for health because they're just on another level they're of, gonna be special. of Hall of Fame trajectory. So um, that's them. That's I mean, Seaver, of course, is is Tom Seaver, legendary guy, legendary numbers, Dwight Gooden, legendary start and prime to his career. And then, of course, what Jacob DeGrom's doing his whole entire career is just insanely special. But Alex, moving now to the ninth inning guy, uh, went with the guy that started his career with the Cincinnati Reds, but then, of course, went to the New York Mets and spent them usually with, I, I think it was majority of the whole 90s and the early part of the 2000s, and that's John Franco. I feel like he was just there for a lot of big moments. Uh, and so he, of course, is going to be my main guy from ninth inning. I think he's honestly top 10 possibly in all-time saves as well. I think it's north of 400. But John Franco gets my vote for ninth inning closer. Who do you got for yours? We agree, Travis. It's John Franco. A lot of agreement here on this team. Um, very few differences. But, uh, yeah, John Franco is my guy as well. The career save numbers are really impressive, like you mentioned, uh, you know, towards the top of the all-time leaderboard for saves. Uh, just another guy, Travis. I'm surprised. I think there's only, there's only like six closures in the Hall of Fame or something. I'm surprised looking yeah. at his numbers. They don't get love. That he doesn't get any love because, uh, yeah, I think just when you're up above 400 career saves, in my mind, like you did your job as a closer. You were shutting down games left and right. But, yeah, he's obviously not a Hall of Famer, but some very impressive numbers nonetheless. And, yeah, I think he's the easy pick in my mind, honestly, um, for this job. Yeah, and honestly, that's really one thing I, I hope the voting can kind of like change in the next couple of years is we give a little bit more love to the relievers because there's so many that we, of course, know and talk about. I mean, Lee Smith, I think he actually might have gotten either the last year or a veterans committee, but I remember he was on the ballot for so many years. And you look at his numbers and he has, you know, almost 500 career saves. I mean, he at one time was the all-time leader in saves in MLB history. And you almost got to look at that and, and think, he's got to be a shoo-in for the Hall of Fame, right? I mean, he's leading the stat that he is trying to pretty much get every single night that he goes out and closes a game. So um, really hope that, of course, some of these guys can get it on veterans committees. Um, and even looking at, you know, with, with what John Franco was able, able to provide, got a couple of even Cy Young and MVP finishes um, in his career. But I mean, yeah, I mean, multiple seasons over a 200 ERA plus, like yeah. as a closer was elite for multiple seasons and also played 21 seasons across multiple teams. Definitely. Uh, All time guy. Definitely. Definitely. I think honestly, probably was uh, probably top two, maybe even top three in uh, saves at one time in his career before Hoffman and Mariano uh started coming into the league so mm -hmm. uh john franco is a guy when you have 400 saves i think that's honestly a pretty good number I, it, it's not i don't think it ranks or values as high as like a home runs because i, I mean right. guys can get 30 saves i feel like in a year in their sleep home runs it's a little bit different well, yeah, i mean because saves is a bit of a team stat like yeah. you're gonna get more saves if you're on a winning team yeah. versus yeah. a losing team um for example, like Melanson last year, Travis was like leading in saves like the whole season. And like he wasn't like being like beyond elite. Like yeah. we all knew Hader was better, but the saves kind of went to the guy who was in the right situations. I or guess. even Iglesias too for the Angels. I know not even finishing 500, but I think he was top three in the AL at least. It, make, it makes the saves numbers for him more impressive, I think, because yeah. he had less opportunities, I'd say. Definitely, definitely. But that rounds out our New York Mets team. Um, not a very old squad. I mean, really, you think about New York and the East Coast, you think that a New York team would definitely have been there for longer. But the Giants, of course, right when they moved, that's when usually the, that's when the Mets started their franchise and became um, what we know as the New York Mets today. But that sums up our second team, Alex. We will now move to the third team, and that's going to be the Philadelphia so they have been around for 139 years started out in 1883 as the philadelphia quakers 
hmm. and changed their name <laughs> to the Phillies in 1890. And of course, have stuck with it ever since. It's kind of an interesting name because I feel like I, I don't want to say it's a lazy pick, but it's just funny that it's the Philadelphia Phillies. I think that some guy just said, you know what, Philly Phillies. Hey, Tyrus, yeah, we're the Los Angeles Angels, so that's that's, that's <laughs> we're kind of we're kind of hating, even though we're being hypocrites. That's that's very true um, that you bring that up, and I think if you know if you don't you don't realize it until you kind of until of course you know you learn of course spanish and you yeah. know that it, that's the true name but um the angels angels yeah yeah the los angeles angels the the angels angels yeah uh so that is going to be the phillies of course history right there 139 years we'll start with the starting catcher alex i'll go first for me i had a guy by the name of darren dalton and so he played for the phillies from uh or he started his career in 1983 and that was with philly uh, pretty much was their guy for the entire, probably the entire 80s and also the um, almost the entirety of the 90s. Almost spent his entire career as a Philly, 14 years, uh, 245 batting average. Not really impressive, but of course he's a catcher. I'm not going to really uh, bag on him there. But uh, a 783 OPS with them and a 114 OPS plus his whole entire career with them. Had 134 homers and 189 doubles. Uh, Back-to-back years, Alex, finishing top seven in the MVP, actually. So in 1992 and 93, one of those years, they did go to the World Series and lost the Blue Jays. But he did win a Silver Slugger that year, so he was very instrumental in their lineup. Both years had OPSs above 875 as a catcher. So, of course, I think that's very impressive. And, of course, one of the years had an OPS plus at a 156. Very impressive, even for a catcher. That right there is um, definitely a good number to look at and led the league in RBIs in 1992. So he is my starting catcher for the Philadelphia Phillies. Who do you got for yours? Yeah, Charles, we agree. I also have Darren Dalton. Um, some of the peak numbers are really impressive in 92-93, in like you mentioned. Um got MVP votes, was a 156 OPS plus in 1992. Um, his best season in my mind, at least. I mean, got the good games played numbers too. Some of the years, Travis kind of struggled to be high on the games played. Like for his first five seasons, he was not like the main catcher, clearly because he was under 60 games played. But when he got his uh, plate appearances, he put up numbers offensively for sure. Um, overall, very solid, I think. Uh, up, up to a 6.9 war in 1992, which was his career best number. So... Very good argument for him, Travis. I will say in a couple years, we could be looking at a real Mito. Um, 100%. It, it, it'll become a really uh, nice discussion there. Um, he does not have the, you know, he's only been there for a few years. So he signed a contract with them. So he's going to be there for a little while. And I think that um, a lot of potential there for, uh, I guess, him to take over this kind of spot. But he has still has some work to do to catch up to Dalton. Definitely, definitely. And also looking even at Carlos Ruiz, who spent his career, um, you know, I, I remember him, of course, he was on those really successful. Uh, World Series teams for the Phillies in, you know, the 2005 to 2012-13 era. Uh, And so Carlos Ruiz, of course, had to be researched, had to be looked up. Darren Dalton, of course, just being kind of more of an all-timer for the Phillies. He, of course, had to be on the list. But Alex, moving to the right side of the infield, first base, second base, there was a name that, of course, I wanted to point out um, that is definitely a guy that we talk about all the time for Hall of Fame trajectory and Veterans Committee. Um, That is Dick Allen. Um, he, of course, for me, got a shout-out at my first base spot. But, Alex, I actually went a different way. I went Ryan Howard at first base, the big slugger from the early 2000s. And then second base, I went Chase Utley. 62 war, fourth all-time in the Philadelphia Phillies franchise. So that is my right side of the infield. And I guess basically for me, for Ryan Howard, um, 
the prime for Howard, Alex, is something that's just, you look at some of these numbers, he was up there with Albert Pujols, with honestly Prince Fielder in the same era, 2006 MVP winner, 58 homers that year, 149 RBIs, uh, almost had a 1.1 OPS that year. Uh, and finish at a 167. And then, of course, the next year's 47 homers, 48 homers, 45 homers. And every single year, almost leading the league in RBIs and home runs. Uh, the strikeouts were really high, of course. But I just think that that prime, that four to five year stretch was honestly really, really insane. I, I just funny when you look at the start, he actually had a late start to his career. He started in 2004 at the age of 24, only played 19 games played pretty much a full season in 2005, but it was only 88 games, got the rookie of the year nod still playing 88 games. Then the following year, he won the MVP, um, also the silver slugger. So it's just crazy to see that what he started off his career, he was almost at 200 something home runs after his fourth season. I mean, you look at how many guys can do that to start their career off. So that's my right side, Alex, who do you got for your right side? Yeah, so Travis, I have the other guy you mentioned at first base. I have Dick Allen. Um, second base, I also have Udley. I think there's a good conversation to be had about comparing Allen and Howard. So I think we should, you know, you made a great case for Howard. I agree. Howard had one of the best starts to a career in terms of home run total. He, like, was, like, on pace to be this all-time great slugger. And he just completely, like, kind of flamed out um, in his 30s and just couldn't, you know, keep his kind of legs under him, I guess. Um, Travis, but the case for Allen for me is pretty simple. I think his OPS plus numbers year after year are just way more impressive in my mind, at least. Um, in his second, so uh, Allen as a Philly, that was this was his. He played two years there in his 30s, but he mainly started his career there from age 21 through age 27. A total of nine years as a Philly. All those years combined, Travis, a 153 OPS plus, very impressive, which is very very impressive. Um, he maxed out his best OPS plus numbers as a Philly was a 181. This was in 1966. Um, super impressive number there. Uh, that's like MVP level stuff. He ended up getting fourth in MVP that year. Uh, complete slugger was hitting hit 40 home runs that year. Um, also, much like uh, actually much like uh, Ryan Howard, a big time strikeout guy. Lots of strikeouts, but. Um, that's okay. In my mind, strikeouts yeah. also lead to more power. You're swinging harder, you're going to miss more, and you're going to hit a lot more a lot farther. So um, the way I see it, uh, both guys kind of comparable in that way. Um, but yeah, Travis, I think Allen is definitely more of an all-timer kind of guy. I know that you really like Howard's upside in his prime, and, and I can get behind that. But I think that Allen, um, just the way he led, you know, I almost could say it's a very similar kind of peak. Um, and I actually like Allen's peak seems a little bit better. Um so yeah, I think I think the case is very clear for Allen from me. Um, but Howard Travis, like I said, like some of the peak numbers, if you like home run total, if you like RBIs, you're not gonna find someone you like much more than than Allen's. Or, sorry, than Howard. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely. And honestly, looking at his numbers too, 72. It didn't pl not play for the Phillies that year. Played for the White Sox. But I mean, looking down the line, I mean, he led the league. He led MLB in on base. He led NL in slugging. He led the MLB in OPS. Led MLB OPS plus at 199. When you get around 200 level in a season, you, you put together an historic season. And that right there honestly should be uh, something that I think historians should look at and voters would look at to say when you're around that level and you win the MVP that year and you also 
led the NL in but Travis, home run RBIs. But Travis, he only has 350 home runs. I, yeah, I know. They're I, I, know say. I know. I know exactly. And, and of course, I don't think he really was an attractive probably name uh, compared to some of the guys in that time when you had Hank Aaron, you had some of these other great sluggers in the NL East. But um, on a rate basis, he's one of the best, though. Exactly. Exactly. Because I think you look at the the rate based stats; they're excellent. And then, of course, you look at the counting stats and you look at everything that he did did to an achieve as an entire career. And then you say, okay, 350 home runs. I, I, I don't know if I can quite ride that as being a hall of famer, but he's got the awards and he's got the great percentage stats. So the war is uh, good too. I will say it um, is. You're that's right. Something that Howard unfortunately does not have going for him. I, I looked at it, man. He's, I, I he's think he has, I think he's one 14 of the, war in his career. The career. I, I think, I think it's one of the, I think war or like just defensive stats have him as one of the worst defenders in baseball history, which is just kind of, yeah. that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. You, you don't get him for the defense. Exactly. You I'm don't surprised get him. he went to an NL team. If he was an ALDH, you probably could have gotten maybe some more. Uh, and, and you also look at the fall off that he had, I think it was 2012, 2011. I remember he actually tore his, um, he tore his, what is that back? Achilles. Know. Achilles. Okay. <laughs> Achilles. Uh, he tore that. his Achilles actually on the last, Oh, yes. Swing of yes. the 2011 NLDS. And that, of course, did not uh, he did not play that many games in 2012, only 71. And then, of course, got injured again in 2013 and then just really did not provide a very good, you know, next five years of his career. Last season was 2016. Every other year is almost like he was leading the league in strikeouts, but his batting average and his on base and his slugging was just down so drastically. His OPS plus was just completely just almost gone. I feel like the last, uh, you know, five years of his career. So he, of course, had a crazy downfall. But I just think that that prime of him uh, was insane. 382 home runs for a guy that only played 13 years and the prime that was on track probably to have 650 home runs. Uh, of course, started a little late at 25. He won the rookie of the year. If he started age 20, I mean, who knows what we'd be looking at right now. But that is Ryan Howard for my right side and Chase Utley. Chase Utley, of course, just being an all-timer. I was about um, to say we didn't mention him at all in our discussion, I, but that's okay because we agree, and I think most uh, Phillies fans agree too. He's a guy that will be, a good, of course, a good conversation for Cooperstown. He is a phenomenal hitting um, second baseman. Alex, even looking at his stats from 2005 to 2009, that is five straight years of an OPS above, above 900. So as a second baseman, that is insanely impressive, was a great home run hitter. I think it was 2006, uh, Ryan Howard won the MVP, and then the next year his teammate Jimmy Rollins won the MVP, and then the next year everyone was saying, well, can Utley win the MVP because he has always been a top guy that finishes in the MVP voting, and he deserves a lot of credit as well, but of course did not, but finished a lot of years in the MVP in the top 10, and of course won Silver Sluggers every single year. So that, of course, is our right side. Moving to the left side, Alex, um, this is where I'll get to talk about Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy Rollins, for me, is going to be the shortstop. You know, looking at his, he almost has a kind of a, a Ryan Howard, I feel like, vibe to him because he did not provide some of the greatest hitting numbers. Um, won a lot of gold gloves, four gold gloves in his career won a silver slugger also of course i think was best known for the mvp season a lot of people of course are very high on that season it wasn't insanely impressive it, it really wasn't i mean I, he led the nl in triples with 20 he had 38 homers 30 doubles uh, i'm sorry 38 doubles 30 homers uh 41 steals so he was the 30 30 guy that year led the nl in runs and of course led almost mlb in at bats and plate appearances in games but 
I think they just gave it to him because the 2007 Phillies were a good team. I think they won the division. They were one of the best teams in the NL. And of course, he was one of their star players and doing what he did as a shortstop. I think that they just felt he is going to be a guy that wins it. Um, I think there have been other shortstops who won the MVP and have had, of course, way better seasons than Jimmy Rollins. But that's my shortstop. My third baseman, Alex, easiest pick of all. It's Mike Schmidt. 500 home runs, in my opinion, possibly one of the greatest, if not the greatest third baseman of all time when it comes to what he was able to provide everywhere. When it came to the glove, when it came to the power, he did it all. So that's my left side. Alex, who do you got for yours? Yeah, Tara, so I got a little sneaky again. Oh, no. Pretty comparable to, I say, what we did with the Braves. Um, Mike Schmidt did play some shortstop. It's not one of his most <laughs> primary positions. Yep, yep. But, Charis, I had to go ahead and do it. Um, I like what you said about Rollins. You did a good job kind of summing up his value to those teams. But I just don't think his career is kind of on the level of these other guys. Um, you know the guy that also his last name start, kind of sounds like Rollins, Very right? similar, yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. So I'll go ahead and say Schmidt was my shortstop. And my third baseman was, of course, Scott Rowland. Um, very close to Rollins, but... Uh, Roland Travis for me is someone who I've been really high on since this whole kind of he's been kind of gaining ground in the Hall of Fame ballot for Cooperstown which we'll discuss more you know in January Hall of, Hall of Fame season but uh, yeah I think he defensively is one of the you know one of the best defensive third basemen and then also um, had a really consistently great bat for the Phillies also kind of jumped around a bit Travis so I will say um, Jimmy Rollins can kind of have some argument for how he was with the team for like a really important era for the team and stuff yep. like that. So I, I, there's nothing credit to be deserved there, but um, yeah, overall I think Roland in my mind, uh, I, I give him the nod without much, much pause. And then Travis, of course, Mike Schmidt, he's on this team, no matter what he's, 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 a, he's a franchise face in my mind. Um, it's crazy. He led the national league in OPS plus um, from his age 30 season all the way till his age 34 season and also in his age 36 season. So in his 30s, just became like the best hitter in the National League out of nowhere. I think that's probably honestly in part because like guys like Hank Aaron were like falling off a bit. And then Schmidt was like, okay, now I'm here and I'm going to be the best power hitter in the whole uh, in the whole NL. So I, um, I still look at even Schmidt's 1980 to 19. Um, it's going to be 1984. Um and I mean, it's just, it's five years of finishing in top seven MVP did win back-to-back -back MVPs. And then of course, every year winning a gold glove every year, winning a silver slugger five years. Um, I think I had a conversation with you one time, it was probably a year back, but I remember I was looking at like guys that made the all-star team got top in MVPs, got gold gloves and got silver sluggers. It's a very, very short list. Um, but when you look at what he was able to provide everywhere, um, even looking at his baseball reference page, it is just, you know, bolded numbers everywhere on his page. Uh, and then, of course, in 86, winning the MVP again. So three MVPs in his career with a crap ton of gold gloves. So, uh, I mean, and, I, honestly, very impressive. Some of the peak war numbers for him, Travis, are super great. Um, he actually got up to a 9.8 war in 74, which was not even like an MVP year for him. And then in his MVP years was up in like the high eights for war. So 8.9 some years, um, got a seven, uh, like a 6.2 in another MVP year. Just a really great player overall. No one's really yes. going to be debating this, this argument of ours for sure. Yeah. I think the real interesting conversation between like Jimmy Rollins versus like Scott Rowland, but comparing them is also apples and oranges because I did some trickery with putting, uh, <laughs> put, putting <laughs> Schmidt over a shortstop, but that's fine. Yeah. I, I think, I think, uh, I think we're good there. Yeah, and honestly, when it comes to that, that's an that's Scott Rowland is a guy that honestly I'm kicking myself too that I did not even really 
think of him or consider him for the Cardinals because he played really good years with the Cardinals. I feel like him, Edmonds, and Pujols were just a insane trio that really, I mean, these are three guys that honestly should be in Cooperstown right now because what they brought to the table when it came to defense and it came to power and hitting, they were some of the greats in the game at the time. Um, honestly, th those early Cardinals teams were, in my opinion, stupid good. And, and that's another reason why I wanted to have him on this Phillies team is because he, we couldn't fit him on the Cardinals team. And obviously Schmidt is taking up the spot here at third base. So I just had to do something to get him on that team because he deserved to be on one of these teams. So I, I went to hang out on the Phillies team. No problem. No problem. But we'll move now to the outfield, Alex, um, for the Phillies. And for me, I'll start off by this is where I put Dick Allen. Okay, good. So Dick good, Allen, good. of course, makes my team. He did play left field for, I think, three or four seasons in his early part of the Phillies days. Uh, he made my outfield. I had to include him. I had to include him. I also wanted to include Ryan Howard just for the prime, but Dick I was, Allen. I was, I was going to say, if you didn't have him, I'd be a little suspicious. But no, no, I'm I know. I'm glad you squeezed him in. No, I know. And so I had to include him in the outfield. Uh, he'll be in the Phillies outfield. I also have Richie Ashburn. Um, honestly, I think he played during the same time as Mickey Mantle. Um, he actually did forties, late forties, majority of the time was in the fifties. And then of course finished out in the sixties, but 12 years with the Phillies did not have a great OPS plus number, only a one eleven, but did have a career, uh, three eleven batting average with the Phillies was just a great contact hitter. Um, and also getting a, a lot of walks led the NL in walks a ton of years and on base a ton of years. Uh, I mean, some of the seasons you look at back to back years, Alex, a 440 or higher on base percentage uh, with the Phillies. I know that's numbers you're going to like a lot. So did finish his career with a 396 on base. So almost a 400 hitter, uh, 400 on base guy, uh, a big triples guy. Again, did not hit a lot of home runs, only 29 home runs in his career uh, and almost uh just, I think, honestly, probably three seasons away, probably from getting 3,000 hits, 25-74. He finished his career, um, 1,300 runs in his career. He is a Hall of Famer, two-time batting title, uh, batting champion for Richie Asper, and he, of course, makes my list. And then the last guy I had, Alex, is going to be Chuck Klein. Uh, he is a Hall of Famer with a 46.6 war. Uh, he played... 15 years out of 17 years with the Phillies. And this is all in the late 20s and majority of it's all in the 30s. And then, of course, finished up also in the 40s. He had two different periods with the Phillies, just like uh, Dick Allen. But with Chuck Klein, uh, 326 batting average with a 935 OPS. And then that's a 139 OPS plus with his entire career for the Phillies. So really like the numbers, 243 homers, 336 doubles, a lot of extra base hits for the guy. Almost a 1,000 RBIs as a Philly as well. Um, so those are my three outfielders for the Philadelphia Phillies. Who do you got for yours, Alex? So, Travis, uh, I also have Richie Ashburn. I think he's a lock. I think he's you know the franchise outfielder in my mind. Some of the best war seasons for him are, are, are quite nice up in the seven uh, wars. Uh, overall, I think there's just no way to keep him off this list, really. Uh, the defense he's going to give you in center with this, all that speed, he's going to get in those gaps and, you know, run down those balls. So, um, also, of course, the on-base numbers, like you said, are, are really special. So, um, a great hitter, great presence at the plate for him. So, he's on the team for sure. Um, I also have, uh, like you mentioned, I also have Chuck Klein. Um, kind of the only only representative of, like, the really kind of old age of the Phillies. Yeah. It's crazy, kind of funny how old the team is, but we only have one guy kind of from that, like, old era. Um, so he makes my team as well. And that. crazy with an MVP and also um, a triple crown. I mean, literally had the triple crown 
year where he didn't even win the MVP that year, back-to-back years finishing in the top, actually three straight years of top two MVP finishes for Chuck Klein in his early part of his career. So um, that, of course, is another thing to add on to that. Yeah, some of his peak offense seasons, Travis, uh, it's right in the Babe Ruth era. And, of course, he's National League, so it's, he's going to be up there with like Mel Ott and other guys. But um, the numbers he put up uh, OPS-wise are just, are just stupid. They're just really good. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree. He is a, a lock for this team looking at the offense that he put up in his prime. And one thing I noticed, too, uh, is that it's funny that, you know, the Philadelphia A's were the AL and the Phillies were the NL. And both, you know, they had Jimmy Fox and Klein. It's funny that both those guys were really finishing in the top MVP spots back to back years. It was crazy that Philly had like the top baseball performers in both of those or in, the, in the start of the 30s. I just realized that they too. Had, they had the star power. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting observation. I did not realize that either, but that's a good point. Yeah, to- total bases leader for the National League in four straight years uh, for the Phillies, which is uh, su- super impressive. But uh, Travis, my third spot, I'm going with Bobby Abreu, and it's pretty surprising. Very nice. But um, he's someone who's currently on the Hall of Fame ballot, Travis, and I'm excited to talk about him when we get there because. He brought a really interesting mix of base running and on-base percentage that you're just not going to find most places. Uh, a 60.2 career war. Um, Phillies are his number one team for sure. If he ever gets in the Hall of Fame, it'll be as a Philly for sure. Most people don't have him penciled in as a Hall of Famer, Travis, but I think his numbers as a Philly are super, super underrated. Nine years with the 139 OPS plus across nine years is super special. 416 on base as a Philly across nine years. Travis, in terms of stolen bases, um, I guess even more underrated. He was consistently up in the 20s, got up to 36 in one year as a Philly. Actually up to 40 in 2004 was his peak as a Philly for stolen bases. Never got lots of MVP love at all, even though his, Travis, three straight years, four straight years above a 140 OPS plus as a Philly, I think his prime as a Philly is super, super underrated. I think he's a really special player. It's crazy that some guys can play in the wrong era and just get penalized, you know, Cause, greatly cause, for that. Yeah, yeah. if he was playing right now, Travis, he would be, like, beloved. He'd be like, you know, these are, like— All-star every year. These OPS yeah. plus numbers are like Aaron Judge, but he doesn't have, like, the crazy yeah. home runs to compete with the Maguire yeah. of the era, D- the Sosa's machine. of the yeah. era. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah, 50 home runs a season one year, 11 triple season another year. The home runs never really got that much above, like, you know, low 30s was, like, his absolute max. Um, but he didn't need the home runs. He got it done with the extra base hits. He got it done with the walks, of course, was a big-time walk guy. Um, yeah, the on-base numbers are super special and still brought a really solid slugging as well in his best season. So, honestly, um, I'm happy to have him on this team, Travis. I will say, Bryce Harper's probably coming. Bryce Harper's <laughs> probably coming for this spot right here. Definitely. But. No, you're right. And that, that's one name you'll bring up that is going to be coming for that last spot um, on this list because with the MVP already... Um, yeah, it, it, and I don't think he's really slowing down. You know, he's still definitely in his, uh, you know, prime production kind of years. And he will spend, I think, it is twelve years with the Phillies. He signed that agreement and contract with them, so he will be an all-time Philly when it comes down to it. Uh, so no, <laughs> that's of course another good observation that uh, he'll be coming down the list. But Alex, we'll now move to the starting pitching for the Phillies. Uh, a lot of history with this team as well for the starting pitching. I'll go first, give you my five, and then of course you give me yours. Uh, my five, it goes down, not in this order, but still, these five guys, very, very great. Robin Roberts, Steve Carlton, Pete Alexander, Grover, Cleveland Alexander, I believe his name was, we covered him last episode, Kurt Schilling, 
And lastly, I had Cole Hamels. Those are my five, Alex. Who do you got for your five? Four of the same. So Pete Alexander, Steve Carlton, Robin Roberts from me are the three complete locks. They have to be here. They're all all-timers uh, yep. for the franchise. Um, I also have Cole Hamels. My fourth spot goes to Cliff Lee, and it's very surprising. Wow, okay. I, I had Kurt Schilling written down at first, and for me, the comparison was Kurt Schilling and Cliff Lee. I think Hamels was kind of different. Hamels had such good peak production, and also the uh, the postseason that he had was just was just really, uh, I guess, crazy. But and it's funny that he won the ring that season and he, he did not have he had no doc holiday he did not have cliff lee it yeah. was almost this it was funny when they got cliff lee and holiday it was like oh i, I you know probably hamels will now move to the three spot but he was the ace for that 2008 team um, right and so i feel like he kind of put the team on his back along with those hitters but he was the guy for the rotation in my opinion i think they even had joe blanton that year uh and uh jamie moyer who i think right. was probably 48 years old that year i think i think um, i remember seeing a graphic on espn that I think their fifth, their fifth guy in the rotation, I think it might have been Blanton, had like, uh, like he was a uh, his ERA was like league average. It's like, how is your absolute worst pitcher like? A, uh, I'm sorry, I think this is what it was. I think it was a win loss record, and their worst, their fifth guy in the rotation had a uh, more wins than losses. It's like, what a luxury! All your pitchers have a uh, more yeah. wins than losses. Like it just must be special. Definitely, definitely. But yeah, no, the, the the Phillies team that year, um, really interesting team. I think they always got uh almost not embarrassed, but they definitely tried, of course, for the first round, always got uh, you know, beaten by some other NL team. But no, yeah, I mean, look at it as Cole Hamels, Jamie Moyer, Brett Myers, Kyle Kendrick, Adam Eaton, and then Joe Blanton, a six man rotation they went out through the entire year. Um, and I mean it's really funny to look at only Two guys, Alex, in that rotation have an ERA under four. Everyone That's else crazy. had an ERA above four that season. Jamie Moyer had a 3.7 ERA that season, and Hamels had a 3.09, and that rotation still got them to a World Series title. And the one thing I love to look at is they all ate up innings. That is one thing that, of course, is so important. Three of the guys had 190 or more innings pitched that year, and I think with the offense, they could give up four runs in a game and be just fine. So, um Let's, let's let's quickly. I'll make a little case for Cliff Lee, who you didn't have, right? Yeah, you, yeah. And then uh, you go ahead and talk about uh, a shilling, Lee Travis. Um, I just see a really good peak years, a 160 ERA plus in 2011, um, and also a 133. Sorry, a 131 ERA plus in 2013. Um, only played five years with the team, and one was like a partial season, but a 132 ERA plus. Um, for a Philly for five years. I think it's really, I think it's really good numbers. Um, the war Travis is what really kind of won me over an 8.5 war in 2011 as a Philly. The next year was a 4.4. So still like an all-star level. And the year after that, a 6.6. So was really good in terms of limiting runs and also eating up innings in those years. Uh, Travis 232 innings pitched in 2011, a really underrated year. Um, had to give him credit. And I think Schilling, you know, is the more legendary pitcher in terms of his career achievements. But looking at the Phillies numbers, I just kind of like the peak years on, on Lee. And it's funny with Kurt Schilling, you know, when I think of him, you think of, of course, bloody sock, red socks. Yep. And then of course, if you don't think of that, you think of Arizona, you think of that deadly, the one, two punch, one, two punch of Randy and Kurt. Um, and then you lastly think of Phillies and that's the team he spent the most amount of time with Alex. I think, I think looking at the ERA plus, 
uh, Schilling in nine years had a 126 ERA plus, and I think in five years, Cliff Lee had a 132. So very, very similar ERA pluses, just almost about a five, a six difference with that. Did, of course, have a higher ERA. Um, in my opinion, you know, I think the longevity of being there nine years, over 100 wins with them. Um, and playing in the division, I think that when we all look back at the 90s in the NL, that was the kind of the Braves decade for the NL. So pitching against such a elite organization that whole entire decade and pitching very, very nicely finished fourth in Cy Young in 97. But it's funny how he kind of gets better and better and better. And then, of course, he leaves and goes to Arizona and then just becomes this guy that literally became like unhuman like when it came with him and Randy. Um, both those guys were unstoppable. But I think, of course, with the longevity, that means a lot for me. And, of course, still putting up very similar numbers like than Cliff Lee um, with the ERA pluses. That was, of course, really important to me. So I thought Kurt Schilling definitely deserved to have a spot for this list. And, of course, it's last year on, of his name on the ballot, so it'll be Yeah, we'll be talking about him in a month for sure. And he, of course, is a very controversial guy for different reasons than steroids uh right some people just don't like what he has to say of course about politics and everything about that so uh it's just funny that all these guys man it's like they just have these personalities that are I, I so think, hard for you to vote for them or, or uh, anything allowed that you yeah. could pick any single guy on the ballot or at least maybe 75 percent of them pick you know, take a look at them, deep dive, and you're going to find something you don't like about them. Yeah. And that's just the way it's going to it's, go. It's almost like Bonds now is almost like the nice man. You know, doesn't really have too much that comes out in the media about him. You know, he stays quiet, good guy. But when he played, that's when the media just hated him. And Kurt Schilling, I don't I don't know too much about him when he was playing, if he was kind of a loud mouth, a bad guy to the media, but I just knew after he played, that's when some bad allegations started coming out. A lot of stuff came out about him. Um, so <laughs> it's just kind of interesting with baseball, man. It's just like some of these guys, they just they have just these crazy afterlifes of baseball, or they of course are crazy during their um during of course their their of course their prime. But three thousand strikeouts as well for Kurt Schilling. Um just, I mean, an all-timer, almost an 80-war guy. If you have an 80-war, I feel like that definitely deserves to be a Hall of Famer. So the playing career is what will be judged, and I think that that definitely should be judged. And, it, you know, that's where, in my opinion, he locks into the Hall of Fame. Sure. Um, but, of course, and you And we'll have to cover look. all that in next month. We'll, it, we'll have a long conversation. I don't want to sure. get too deep right in that. But for me, Phillies, he has to be in my top five. But, of course, Cliff Lee, the prime, what he was able to be with that, honestly, pretty elite starting rotation with, Doc Holliday, and also Cole Hamels, very, very elite. So I see where you came with that. Um, Alex, we'll now move to, I guess we didn't really talk about Robin Roberts or Steve Carlton. They, of course, have the longevity with the uh, Phillies. Super, also, super great primes. Pete Alexander, Alex. I mean, you look at Pete Alexander's numbers, they are insanely impressive. You look at Steve Carlton's numbers, too, insanely impressive. And then Robin Roberts being kind of the all-time guy for the Phillies, being there for so long. Um, 24 years for Steve Carlton. I mean, he has a 90 war, has over 300 wins and a 322 ERA. One of the guys, Alex, that has gone past 5,000 innings pitched. So that right there is just a number that is insane. Mm -hmm. Also has more than 4,000 strikeouts in his career as well. So two numbers that are insanely, you're, you're not going to see that anymore. Another level of workhorse. Yeah. And four Cy Youngs as well. And also a triple crown, two World Series, 10 All-Stars, a gold glove, and ERA title. Pretty much the same stuff. But the you work, would, the work, we call you, that. You and four Cy Youngs, that, of course, says it all right there. But um, just great starting pitching from this Phillies rotation. 
Um, definitely, definitely goes up there with one of the all-time the, greats. Charles, this division is proving to be very good at pitching. I'm it's excited to see how our NL, our all NL East team is going to shape up. But we'll I know. get to that at the end of the episode. Me too, me too. But we'll now move to the ninth inning guy, Alex, for the closer. For me, I went actually Jonathan Papelbon. Um, for me, he, he I've known him as a Boston Red Sox. Same thing with kind of uh, Kurt Schilling. But he, of course, I think honestly leads uh, in saves for the all-time for the Philadelphia Phillies and then honestly looking at his numbers he's on the ballot this year Alex another guy I'd love to talk about and put into a deep conversation a 2-3-1 ERA that's a 167 ERA plus um I mean he's a great closer no matter where he goes uh for me Phillies and Boston very two good kind of career paths on those two teams um he of course for me is going to be the closer for the Phillies who do you got for yours I went a different way I went actually with Tug McGraw. So Tug McGraw, uh, 10 years with the Phillies, so more longevity than Papelbon with the team. Um, but some of his peak year, some of his years, Travis, are not that impressive. Some yeah. of his years are not that special with the team. But some years are really good. Some years are really special. Uh, like in 1980, for example, 92 innings pitched as a reliever with uh, 260 ERA plus. So a complete, you know, great at, uh, you know, Great at finishing games and getting lots of uh, innings, eating up innings in the bullpen, and also great at preventing runs. So um, for the peak seasons, Travis, for me, for Tug McGraw is what kind of won it over in my mind, I guess. Um, Papabon, Travis, I agree. He has a Hall of Fame case. I'm bigger on like relievers getting the Hall of Fame than most people, I think. But mm-hmm. when it's all said and done, I think that uh, Papabon is a great case. Um, I just I think only for the, the years played with the team is the reason mm-hmm. I kept him off. Um, otherwise, I probably would have had Papabon. Yeah, very similar to our Cliff Lee, Kurt Schilling dispute where we kind of went the opposite way now for the relievers. You went more longevity. I went more greater prime. But um, with these lists, that's kind of what it's it's fun to talk about when you look at the primes or the longevities. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, Powell Bond will be fun to talk about in the next couple of weeks when it comes to Hall of Fame uh, status because he is on the ballot this year and a fun guy to talk about because the numbers are surprising. They they really honestly surprise me when you look at how good he is. When you, when you just say his name, you think, no, nah, not, not, not at all. But you have to take a deeper dive, and it actually is pretty good. But, Alex, that sums up our all-time Phillies team. A lot of history here, a lot of great players for the Phillies, some that have played this century and a lot that played last century. But um, we'll now move to the 2019 World Series champion, and that is the Washington Nationals. So brief history about them. They started out in 1969 as, of course, the Montreal Expos. They played for the Expos. They played in Montreal at least till 2004, and that's when they made the move to Washington and became the Washington Nationals. I think it was the third time the national or the Washington D.C. area got a baseball team back. Mm. So I think they're praying that they won't lose this team again, and yeah. that they'll have another team that literally just leaves somewhere else, and they could literally have three different franchises to cheer for: the Twins, the Rangers, and now of course the Nationals. But um, Alex, starting off with this list. Um, Catching position, there's one guy, of course, that is a Hall of Famer, great Expos player, and that's Gary Carter. For me, he is the all-time catcher for this franchise. Who do you got for yours? Gary Carter, yeah, I think it's an easy pick. Um, he's just their guy for sure. A, a great Expo, one of the best Expos. He, he's he's towards the tops of the list for the franchise war, is he not? I think he's... He's number one. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so <laughs> I, I was going to say, yeah. Um, Gary Carter's the easy pick, I think. Uh, I think he's like top two, top three um in like 
war for catchers ever. And like this was by far as like I think the team with the most years. So yeah, it was, it was, seventy war. That that's a pretty impressive. I mean, stat line to be for right. a, a catcher. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it was a pretty easy choice. Um, Nationals are his team. Expos, but yeah, same same deal. Uh, easy pick. Definitely, definitely. I'll let you start first with the right side, Alex. First base and second base for the Nationals. Okay, Travis. I, and, I, and this is, I, I'll say this too, I got a little sneaky as well. Okay, so. I, I wonder if we did the same thing here because I, I had to get sneaky. And <laughs> Travis, I, I mean, what I did is I didn't break the rules. No, well, no, you didn't, yeah. It, I just I, bent, didn't break, I didn't break the rules either. I, yeah, I yeah. bended the rules. Yeah. Um, yeah you, you, some guys play positions that they may not have played a lot, but you know what? They, they played play those spots, yeah. So I think we're on the same page. But uh, Travis, for first base, I have Ryan Zimmerman. And for second base, I have Anthony Rendon. Retweet. Same deal? Okay, I figured. <laughs> uh, obviously, Rendon's best years came as a third baseman, um, but his, you know, two of his first uh, three seasons as a national, he was a primary uh, second baseman. Most of his games played at second base. And even in some of the other years, had some appearances at second base again. Played, played actually a little bit of second base in his uh, best season in 2019, which was, of course, the World Series run that his team went on when he... Uh, led the National League in doubles and, uh, you know, 34 homers, 126. MLB leading in RBIs. Um, Travis Rendon, uh, most of, most listeners probably know all about him because he's, you know, actively one of the best third basemen yeah. um, in baseball. We have him at second base, and I think it's pretty easy because no one else was really that close Definitely. Um, for that position. It's, it's a great kind of sneak him over there and have a power bat at second. It's kind of easy. Yeah, no, exactly. That was definitely my mindset. Um, Ryan Zimmerman at first base, he, of course, is – the first national ever to be drafted. So of course he kind of is Mr. National right now. He's been with them um, the longest. He also, of course, very good to have him win the world series in 2019. I know, um, you know, over 15 years, I think with the organization and finally getting that ring was very special. So he of course had to make the infield somewhere. He played a lot of first base actually in the later part of his career. Um, and I think honestly, it's over probably three seasons at first base. So easily, of course, qualifies Rendon easily qualifies second base. I think he had two seasons where the majority of his time spent was at second base because Zimmerman was playing third base. So Rendon started out more as kind of that middle infield second base guy. But um, yeah, no, Rendon Zimmerman, very easy for my right side, Alex, but I'm interested to see who you got for your left side of this Nationals list. I'll let you start first. Travis, shortstop, I went with Trey Turner. Um Obviously, no longer with the team, but he was kind of on pace to be like uh, a face of their franchise going forward. Um, I got traded, of course, um, in, in their kind of reboot, their rebuild that they're doing. Um, but Trey Turner had some great seasons uh, as a national. Um, this last one, only half his season there. Of course, half with Nationals, half with Dodgers, but... Um, 6.5 war this season, so... Off to a great start. Lots of MVP consideration for him, honestly. Um He's going to be great going forward, but with the Nationals, uh, for me, no one else I really came to mind. And then Bob Bailey is my third baseman. Um, go ahead and tell me who you got, and then we'll talk about it. So, yeah, I went Trey Turner, shortstop. Easy pick for me. Um, he's just a special kind of player um, right now in the game. And at, at shortstop for the Nationals, he was very special. Third base, though, Alex, I went with someone different. I went with a guy who played his years as an expo. I went with Tim Wallach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess for my case with Wallach, uh, not the best, I would say, um, you know, not of course going to bring, of course, the great hitting stats had a 259 average, a 105 OPS plus, uh, 300, 360 doubles, 400, or sorry, 204 homers. So he did bring the extra base hits almost a thousand RBIs, 
Um, and I think he honestly ranks on the top for their all-time war leader guys. But for me, Tim Wallach, like also being seventh in all-time Expos Nationals franchise war, uh, he had to be on this list for me just for the war reasons. But who would you get? Uh, uh, Bob Bailey is Bob where I Bailey, went. that's right. So Bob Bailey played for a few different teams, but the Montreal Expos was his most played team there. Seven years, 123 OPS plus with that team. Um, some of the years, Travis uh, was playing some first base and some outfield, but um, his main, like the four, the four or five, like middle years uh, when he was an expo, uh, he was a primary third baseman. So I went with him there. Um, some of the years are not that special, like a 93 OPS plus in one year, which is kind of, you know, but you're below average. But then the really, the really great peak season he had in 1970 is what did it for me. He uh, had over a thousand OPS, a 167 OPS plus. Um, he really kind of thrived, I guess, in this season. Like uh, the, the, this is the year after or two years after the, uh, the Bob Gibson, uh, you know, when it, they, they essentially, they shrunk the strike zone and they lowered yep. the mound and hitters started excelling again. And uh, he was one of the first guys, I guess, to kind of, you know, just kind of pop off. Um, and that was in 1970 as, as an expo. So for me, Travis, he was my third baseman. Um, there were some different options and a lot of them are kind of similar. So I think both our picks kind of make sense. Definitely, definitely. It's it's funny to see that we put, you know, Rendon at second. That just tells you that there's really not a good second baseman, I yeah. feel like, on this uh, franchise. So uh, Rendon had to be the guy. I guess you can maybe see about Alfonso Soriano, but I don't know how many years he played there. I think and he was played one, a lot of outfield. Was, I think it was one year. You might be right. I think yeah, it was, actually, I think but, you're right. But, I think but, it, was but it was a really good year. 40-40 so season. It might have been his best year. So just kind of <laughs> 40 funny. stolen bases, 40 home runs. Not many guys can achieve that. But um, no, yeah. So not many, too many guys with the longevity at second base for the Nationals. But Alex, we'll now move to the outfield. And this, of course, was a very fun um, ranking or at least selection process because there's one guy that had to be left off the list, Alex, at least in my opinion. I'll see if you cheated maybe. But um I'm going to point out Juan Soto. He will be 150% on this list in, I think it's maybe two seasons. I think he's only, I'm sorry, I think it's one more season. Yeah. No, he, no, we, we did it the same. We, we both left him off, I okay. guess. Um, okay. There, he, there's a lot of good guys that he, we'll talk he, about. He will be on next year. He will be on next way. year. Um, I mean, you just look at the stat lines, and it's 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 honestly some of the stupidest hitting stats to start a career in MLB history. Um, but the, from the other thing is, Travis, so like we cheated and had like Yelich in for four years. Yeah. But the Brewers didn't have a lot of elite options out there. The National slash Expos kind of do. They do. So, so we'll talk about that right now. They have some Hall of Famers. And for me, Alex, uh, I actually left one Hall of Famer off this outfield list. Wow. But for me, I went Bryce Harper. I went Andre Dawson. And I went Vladimir Guerrero. I know you're you're cringing right now in kind of pain to see. I, I put someone off this list. I love but. Harper, but oof. So basically, of course, Vladdy in my opinion, had to be on this list. He, of course, is a Hall of Famer as an angel, um, but I think, honestly, had his most successful years in Montreal. Did win an MVP, um, actually won a couple of uh, top three finishes in the as, the as an angel for MVPs and a ton of silver sluggers. But as an expo, he put up some of the greatest numbers. Uh, looking at, honestly, his eight years as an expo, Alex, a 978 OPS, almost 1,000 OPS, in the eight years as an expo, a 148 OPS plus all time hitter, 323 batting average, uh, on base at a 390, slugging at a 588. Honestly, just a great hitter for them. I had to include him on this list. Also, with the arm he was able to provide, and also very good speed as a expo in 2002, Alex, 40 stolen bases as an expo, almost 
40 home runs, almost had a 40-40 season, a 39 home run 40 season. It honestly that, tool. that number just kind of makes me angry because it just you couldn't get one so more. So close, yeah. You couldn't honestly, one more home run and top four in MVP, he could very well challenge. I'm not gonna say he wins it. Bonds had an insane season, but he challenges Bonds that year. Maybe voters say, you know what, we're gonna go with the other guy. Maybe because uh, we like him. He's nicer to us. <laughs> so Vladdy had to be the guy. I, like I had to also go Andre Dawson for what he was able to provide. Also with kind of the five-tool player. Center fielder, tons of gold gloves, uh, great power. Did not have, I guess, the OPS plus as some of these other players that I provide on this list. But he did play 11 years, started off his career as an expo. Um, but, of course, I think we all remember him as a Cub, won the MVP as a Cub. But still, gold gloves every single year, silver sluggers every single year, every single year practically. Um, and then for me, Alex, with Bryce Harper, um, I know you talk about a lot of guys when it comes to just maybe one year. And one year for Bryce Harper really says it all. That's, twenty, I think, 2015, yep. his MVP season, first MVP season, 1.109 OPS. Not many guys can achieve an OPS higher than 1.1. I think the last guy to do it, of course, was Yelich at 1.100. Uh, he went a little bit above that and a 198 OPS plus and led MLB in on-base and slugging uh, 330 batting average at year two. I mean, just the stat line is a freak show, but that's my outfield, Alex. Interested to see who you got for yours. So my three, Travis, two are the same and one's going to be different. Um, so I have in left field, Tim Raines. I think he, for me, is someone who I really am happy to have on my outfield. Uh, so we'll discuss Reigns versus Harper, but spoiler alert, my other two are going to be Dawson and Guerrero. You summed up Dawson and Guerrero perfectly. I don't have much to add at all. Um, both players were just kind of these guys who could hit well and could play the outfield pretty well, um, could steal bases in their prime. So a lot to like about both. Um, and now, Travis, comparing Harper, who I had, of course, as an honorable mention, I'm, I'm a big Bryce Harper fan. And that one season you mentioned. I thought you were going to actually is, include him, yeah. Is, is one of the best ever. I think that Tim Raines is a criminally underrated player. I think that Tim Raines should be above Dawson. I think that if if I was going to leave one off, I would have left off Dawson. For me, it was closer of Dawson Harper versus Tim Raines Harper. You, know, so, and you, and you honestly bring up a good point. I know the numbers definitely favor Tim Raines, yeah. So Tim Raines, Travis. Just to kind of cue in the viewers on or the listeners on what I'm uh, talking about here with Tim Raines, some of his peak seasons in Montreal, Travis, uh, like a 149 OPS plus, a 145 OPS plus, a 151 OPS plus. You think of him as more of like a speedster with contact, but no, he actually was great at on base and had solid slugging as well. The homers are never quite there, but lots of doubles and a good amount of triples as well. Um, so. Overall, for me, Travis, I think that he is, you know, doesn't get enough credit as he deserves. He is a Hall of Famer, so it's not like he's like this really stunt player, but 70 career war. He is he is truly elite in my mind. Um, as a as a Macho Expo, four straight years of leading the National League in stolen bases, which, you know, I think he was one of the top. I think he was like second all time, maybe before Henderson passed him, if I'm not mistaken. It, it looks that way because 808 is pretty... Remarkable. He, yeah, he was he was probably had his eyes set on Lou Brock there for a while, but um, I don't think he's passed him. Uh, but Travis, I think overall, um, a really great four tool player, and the power is kind of half a tool almost in my mind. He's like about a four and a half tool player. I think he had yeah. the speed, he had the contact, um, he had the defense, and and you know the outfield, all that kind of stuff going for him. Um, 
the one thing I'll say is he did have some other years, uh, good years with Chicago. Um, so you can almost kind of say, oh, well, he wasn't just a Montreal Expo only. But yeah, he had a better, um, I just looked it up. He had a better, he had a, over a five war per 162 games as an Expo only, only his Expo season. So really was kind of like almost should be getting MVP votes like every single year um, based on that kind of performance. But Travis, um, I'll have Harper. So I'm not going to like bag on the yeah. Harper pick. I just think that Ra- uh, Tim Raines uh, is underrated by kind of everyone. So I wanted to shout him out in and, a big and way. did you give Andre Dawson, did you select him in your list? I did. Okay. I did have Andre Dawson over Harper. Um, I think that, I think that there's a good case for Harper over Dawson. Yeah. Um, but, but Dawson for me, um, too much of a franchise icon, I think. I think that, and also with, um, I, I of course like looking at the award stats on the side, um, winning silver sluggers and gold gloves almost every year, um, says a lot to me, just says that, you know, he is getting complete recognition by the, the voters. Um, even though when you look at some guys like Mike Trout, zero gold gloves, you kind of look at it and say, oh, he wasn't a good fielder, but he's an exceptional fielder. It's just that there are some guys like Jackie Bradley Jr. or Kevin Kiermeyer who are just that they spe- much. They specialize. In they it. specialize in that only. So, um, but I just look at that as being kind of a, just a complete five-tool player for Dawson. Um, Tim Raines, honestly, is a guy I, I, I do. I, I like his numbers. Um, I just feel like for him, he, I mean, he is the guy that I think is on the, when you look at inner circle Hall of Famers, he's definitely not on that le- level. He's a guy that probably sure. would be on your, if you had to make maybe a team of the worst like Hall of Fame list team, he could possibly be on that team. He's a great player, but he's not, of course, at the level of legendary numbers. But I, I, I get what you mean, but I, I, I think in terms of like Hall of Fame rating, I would have him above Dawson. Um, Interesting. The, okay. The, 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 yeah, I mean the war, the war says so for Baseball Reference. Um. Dawson's at a, at a 64.8 and uh, uh, range is almost a 70. Yeah. Um, the OPS plus numbers uh, for Montreal, 122 for Dawson on the career. And for Reigns, let me see here. For Reigns, it is at a 131. So it's like much higher with no. more seasons played. So I, I, overall, I think that I actually give the nod to Reigns over Dawson. But Dawson, more of a franchise guy in my mind. So and, I have and, no problem with him being on the list. And one thing that's really crazy with Reigns, too, is in 1987, that year, he got an, got an all-star appearance and also finished in number seven uh, in MVP. But after that, it's kind of crazy. His career, no more all-stars, no more silver sluggers, no gold gloves, only one finish in mvp voting and he got 17th that year it's kind of an insane drop off that you look at no more all-star appearances and just really no more recognition um it'd be really interesting if they would have had these all mlb teams back then and to see what he would have been finishing on um i feel like now of course we always ran it about the last one because they let the vans vote um right it's it's honestly kind of a crazy drop off at age 28 all the way till 42 just blanks. I mean, really, kind of just a. And I, I will say, meh just kind of guy. Right. I will say, just to defend him, um, some of those seasons, the WAR numbers are still pretty good. Like getting over three WAR twice as an Expo, and then after after age twenty, like you're saying, and as a White Sox in in 1992, a six point three WAR, you should be getting MVP votes with a six point yeah. three WAR, but he got none and no All Star nod. Uh, at the end of the day, Travis, that just means more underrated in my mind. It doesn't necessarily mean a knock for him. That's just the way I see and it. And I don't even know. I, they, I'm, I'm sure they didn't even have war. I think war's only been of around not. for 10 years. So <laughs> guys could not fight it off for back then. But. Voters voters saw his batting average dip from his Expo days, and they said he was he was, he was was probably washed. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and that, of course, look, and I will say one thing, too, in 93, um, 
starting out there, he definitely was just, I guess, bombarded with injuries. I mean, every single year it was, you know, 115, 101, did play 133 and 95. I guess in 94 as well, that, that was a shortened season, so I shouldn't really downplay him then. But 96, 97 did not even get above 75. Um, and then, of course, just kind of slowly um, transition. I, I'm pretty sure he was a Veterans Committee guy, um, if I'm not mistaken. I know he was voted in, honestly, the last five years um, into the Hall of Fame. So either a last year ballot guy or a Veterans Committee guy. I know he was giving a lot of recognition, it, I think, for the early part of his uh, career. It looks like he was a I think he was a 10th ballot guy. It's looking like. OK. Yeah, it says okay. selected the Hall of Fame by uh, BBWAA. Baseball Writers uh, of America Association, okay. Whatever, okay. That, whatever that stands for. Yeah, but yeah. that's the writers, and that yeah, tenth year, eighty six percent barely got in. You're right. You're right. Okay, that's very, so yeah, that's very interesting. It, it looks like it was a last year kind of guy, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a fun it's a fun conversation to have. I of course are just going to go basically off of um, Harper's one year. Harper's kind of prime with the Nationals. Also, when he came to the team, that's when the Nationals really started being good and started winning the division. I mean, I really think that him and Strasburg were two guys that really elevated that team. So that's why I have um, Harper on that list. And then, of course, you look at Dawson and Tim Raines. Honestly, Tim Raines' numbers are slightly better when you look at that. I think, of course, just I, I think for the name of Dawson being who he was, um, I, I want him on my list. I want him playing center field being what he provided there. Um, at least we both agreed on Guerrero because Guerrero is a freak show. Yeah. Um, Prime also Guerrero. one of our favorite players of all time yeah. too, as an angel. So um, that is our nationals list. Very, very good outfield. But of course, Soto next year will surpass anyone. Honestly, yeah, on he, this list. he is. He's coming for everybody on this it, list. He'll, he'll be the number one outfielder in no time. Definitely. But that sums up our outfield and our position players. Now we'll now move to the, uh, starting pitching, Alex. I'll go first for me. It's going to be starting off with Max Scherzer. Next, it's going to be Steven Strasburg. Uh, third, it's going to be actually El Presidente Dennis Martinez. Had a couple good seasons, um, good prime seasons with the Expos. Then I went to Steve Rogers, who's actually fourth on their all-time war. Uh, and then lastly, I went to Jordan Zimmerman. He is actually number 15 on their all-time war. Had a couple good seasons um, and then went to Detroit. But uh, that is my starting five, Alex. Who do you have for yours? We have the exact same five. So Perfect. That's, that, that makes it easy. Top three are pretty easy, I think. I think the top three is pretty easy. And well, honestly, I think Steve Rogers is also kind of a lock based on the career war. There's not that many options. There's not that many guys that I'm like, oh, it sucks to leave him off. Except for a one, and he doesn't meet our criteria, under the four, under the five-year minimum we always talk about. Pedro Martinez, Travis. You're right. Uh, <laughs> four years with the team. But was absolutely, I mean, some of the years was just like a really good pitcher. And yeah. then Travis, one of the years, Cy Young win, 219 ERA plus, um, a 1.90 ERA in the steroid era. Yeah. This is the beginning of the Pedro that we talk about when we talk yeah. about how great his prime was. Yep, yep. First year was as an expo, his, his first uh, Cy Young award win. So he has to get snubbed because the four years pitched is just not enough to make our team. But uh, one more year, and he's kicking off one of those guys at the bottom for sure. Definitely, definitely. We'll move now to the closing role. Um, Alex, I'll let you start with who you got for your closer, and then I'll give you mine. So I went with Jeff Reardon. Um, this is someone who I did not know much about going into it, but um, overall, I think uh, he just had the numbers that appealed to me the most. Tell me who you got, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. So, yeah, Jeff Reardon, looking him up right now, actually yeah, leads uh, the Nationals franchise in saves. Um, 
for me, I went to the guy who finished second. I went with Chad Cordero mm. um, and Upland, California native. So, wow. uh, <laughs> but I, I basically just went with him. Um, he started out his career in 03 in Montreal, then, of course, played. Uh, I would say, honestly, in the dark days of the Washington Nationals franchise when they moved over to D.C., um, not much to really like about or not much to really cheer for back then, but let MLB in saves in 2005. That season actually got some MVP votes and finished top five in Cy Young that year uh, and had a 2.78 ERA, six years as a national and a 155 ERA plus. Um, in that season, he had a 182 ERA. So really, honestly, a very elite season. Uh, and uh, really funny that he actually had a losing uh winning percentage a 333 winning percentage that season so um just shows you the team really couldn't get their stuff together when he came out the pitch even though he was great uh that's who my guy is alex give me why you picked reardon so uh yeah looking at his numbers now travis it's six years as an expo uh, a 126 era plus across those six years um his best outing his best stretch of games as an expo was when he was traded there in 81 1981. I like the beard too. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I like his profile picture. He knows he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> Forty-one point uh, two innings pitched after getting traded there in '81, and a one point three ERA. So that was by far his most dominant stretch with the team. Those forty-one innings. The next season also still very solid. Uh, two point zero six ERA in over a hundred innings pitched of relief work. Twenty-six saves that year. A 177 ERA plus, and then actually got some Cy Young votes with the team in 1985. Um, and this was uh, a 41 save campaign, uh, led MLB that year. It's really funny, Travis leads MLB in saves, gets seventh in Cy Young voting a couple years earlier, way better ERA and ERA plus, but there's no votes to be found. It's kind of funny how the writers just cared about the saves, and that's kind of it. But, um, yeah, Travis, I think for me. There are a couple of ways you could have gone with this, and I just went with Reardon, the guy who had kind of the career save stuff going for him, as well as just some good peak seasons and then some other kind of consistently okay seasons. Yeah, some of these guys, um, it's it's not like when we look back at like Angels when you got Percival, K-Rod, when it, it's a real discussion. Right. I feel like for some of these franchises, it's just like... That, that pick's fair, yeah. Exactly. You just got to go with the guy that's like, you know what, he leads and saves, and also, you know, he played five years, so... It just got to be that guy. Not really too much of a great pick. I think there's honestly some picks you could honestly go with, like with the Rob Dibble. Did not really close, I think, a lot of games, but was just a great reliever. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, that's our Nationals team, Alex. We will now be moving on to the last team, and that is the youngest team in the uh, NL East. And honestly, I think this one will have we'll have to do a little bit of cheating on this one just because it's only a 29-year-old franchise. Alex started out in 93 as the Florida Marlins until 2011 then became the Miami Marlins so they kind of changed their identity new stadium in 2012 new jerseys new outlook really it's kind of just a, uh, a a big difference from what they used to look like as the Florida Marlins pinstripe had that I can't really describe that kind of that blue look um, and then they went to the Miami Marlins and had this like almost like rainbow kind of yeah, look they, they went from like teal to like neon almost like a really interesting switch and up. had this giant like swordfish yeah. <laughs> jumping out in the outfield that I think honestly when Jeter bought the team just destroyed and got rid of it because he was like I'm not having that on this team anymore like this is we can't just have this giant like merry-go-round thing in the outfield so uh Marlins of course one thing about the Marlins insane franchise when you look at they're only 29 years old and they have two World Series championships 
They won it in 97 and won it in 2003. So you look at so many teams like the Rangers or the Padres or other teams, even the Angels being 60 years old, only one championship, and some of these other teams being 60 years, 50 years old, only one championship or zero championships. The Marlins are not even 30 years old, and they have two rings, and they had two rings in a span of six to seven years. So mm -hmm. uh, pretty insane when you look at what they are able to do starting out in 93 and winning their first ring four years later. I mean, that, that, that to me is just really surprising. But let's kick it off, Alex, with the all-time catcher for the Marlins. Um, for me, Alex, I went JT Realmuto. What he was able to do in his last couple of years as a Marlin, he was kind of their only bright spot on the franchise. And then, of course, that's why he had to be let go, uh, traded away to Philly. But he, of course, put it together some very good seasons as a uh, Miami Marlin. So for me, Rio Muto had to be my catcher for the Marlins. Who do you got for yours? I also have Rio Muto. Yeah, I agree. Um, definitely an underrated catcher at that time. Now is definitely getting the credit he deserves. He's commonly considered a top, you know, top two catcher right now, maybe best, maybe top three. Different discussions there can happen. But yeah, in terms of his time as a Marlin, um, was sneakily kind of one of the best catchers in the league. And, uh, you know, the bat is really good, and he's just a great defensive catcher as well. Some great speed for a catcher. Definitely. One of the best athletes at the catcher position um, in today's game. So, yeah, for me, uh, the pick was, you know, pretty clear. Definitely, definitely. We'll move now to the right side of the infield. Uh, first base, second base. And surprisingly, Alex, for first base, I went with Kevin Millar. Okay. Kevin Millar actually played a lot of different spots, played third base, played first base, played a lot of outfield spots too, but he was on the Marlins from 98 to 2002. Really funny that he was on the Marlins during the span. They did not win a ring, but he was... That's pretty sad. They, they won a championship the year before, and they won a championship the year after, so maybe he was just the problem for a really long time. But <laughs> um, yeah, 98 to 2002. As a Marlin for five seasons, Alex had a 296 average an 871 OPS, that was a 127 OPS plus, so almost a 130 OPS plus hitter as a career guy for the Marlins. Um, and of course, putting together, you know, meh kind of power, 40, 59 homers, so about averaging almost 11 to 12 homers a year, 11, 111 doubles. So honestly, just more of a contact guy when it comes to singles. So Kevin Millar was my first baseman on the Marlins. Second base, Alex, I went with Dan Ugla. Um, for me, Dan Ugla, honestly, had some of the greatest, uh, not the greatest, but had some some great second base pop from 2007 to 2011, Alex. Every single year, he hit 30 or more home runs those years. Had 36 homers in 2011. Really funny that he finished the year um, with, yeah, 36 homers and no Silver Slugger or even MVP votes at all, which is kind of crazy that he got some other years. Um, but Dan Ugla, in my opinion, was uh, one, one, of, one of the greatest power hitting second basemen in the later half of the 2000s. So he gets my vote for second base. Alex, who do you got for your right side? This is pretty rare, Travis, but I don't know if this has happened uh, today. We have different first and different second basemen. That's like it never, never really happens. I know, Usually right? There's agreement somewhere, but um, that's because this team has lots of options that are kind of okay. <laughs> they're kind of okay yep. picks. So yep. um, I'll start with my first baseman, Travis. I have Jeff Conine. So Jeff Conine was a uh, Florida Marlin from 93 up until 97. Um, and then also made another appearance with the team in 04 and 05. But Travis, um, some of his best seasons, a 135 OPS plus was in 95. He had back-to-back -back all-star appearances in 94 and 95. Got MVP votes in both years. Um, 
got actually rookie of the year votes uh, the year prior. So um, had a nice little stretch. Um, was by no means like a super you know dominant player, but I think you know being over a 130 uh, OPS plus in back to back seasons is very solid based on the other options I kind of had uh, at that position. Uh, and then Travis moving on to my second baseman, I went with Luis Castillo. So Luis Castillo, Travis is someone who at first look I was like, yikes, his OPS plus numbers yeah. are not very pretty. Um, as a as a 10 year uh, veteran with the team with the Florida 94 OPS plus. Yeah. That's not very good for a 10 year stretch at all. But looking at the war numbers, um, I think he had the speed and the defense and enough other stuff going for him to really kind of create some value. He had two different years over a four war and then on two more years above a three, five war. So was still able to be viable in my mind, despite the hating not being great at all. Ugla kind of the complete opposite, uh, was uh, you know an above average hitter, but besides that, probably not doing a whole lot for the team uh, defensively. I actually remember Travis; he had a really like crucial error in like an All Star game that was like an extra innings. Yeah. I always remember that. Like yeah, one of my first All Star games. Yankee Stadium, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I had like that. I think I bought that. That's the first All Star game I got really invested. In. I, I remember I got the All Star game program, and I was like Josh Hamilton home run derby. I, I, yeah. I was tracking everything, and I was like, okay, this is like a really tense game, and Ugly like botches this grounder. But I, I think it went extras, and he yeah. botched it. I, I remember it was. I, I remember during that time, I think the NL had lost like it was almost like eight or nine straight All Star games, and it was like yep. the NL finally break one, and it's at Yankee Stadium. But yeah, had a crucial error. But it's funny you bring up also Luis Castillo crucial air at right. Yankee Stadium You're against right. the New York Yankees when he was a Met with Alex Rodriguez. I will always remember that pop-up that K-Rod was on the mound for the Mets and pop-up bases. I, I don't know if bases were juiced, but there were guys but, on base. But K-Rod did his job. He got the infield yeah. fly pretty much. <laughs> short, short, short grass and yeah. That will always live in my head when you think of like Luis Castillo as being like a defender. It's like, oh my God, he literally missed uh, the pop-up and the Yankees won the game. But yeah. Yeah, so I guess I'm feeling uh, mishaps for both of our players, Travis. But um, yeah, I think the hitting, clear advantage, Ugla. The war is a slight advantage, maybe. It's pretty close. Slight advantage uh, for um, Luis Castillo. But yeah. And of oh, course, longevity, too. Yeah, and so there's arguments for both, I'd say. Uh, I think it's safe to move on. Definitely, definitely. And now I think Let's for the left here. side, Alex, we should be we should be somewhat close. Could be a little bit of a, a shakeup, but for me, left side, Shortstop, Hanley Ramirez, pretty easy pick there. And then for third base, I went with Miguel Cabrera, starting out his young career uh, as a Marlin. One of the, honestly, one of the greatest kind of starts to his career in 2003. I remember he hit the home run in the World Series off Roger Clemens. That was kind of a huge moment that this young kid is doing this off one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Um, so pretty, honestly, stacked, I think, left side of the infield. Hanley Ramirez in his young days was a complete stud in my opinion but who do you have for your left side it's the same travis hanley is my shortstop and miggy cabrera is my third baseman uh i was talking about earlier about like david wright being one of my favorite players uh, as a kid like hanley ramirez was also one of my favorite players as a kid i always try to get him on my teams uh, in like all my video in, in, <laughs> yeah. all my, in all my video games but yeah some of his best batting years travis uh three straight years with the overall 143 ops plus um as like a young 20 something year old at shortstop is really crazy. A really great offensive yep. start to his career as a shortstop is is, is just some really inc- impressive numbers. Um, got all the way as high as the second place in MVP voting uh, when he had a an NL uh, batting title in 2009. But yeah, 
overall, I yeah. think both those guys make lots of sense. They're kind of locks in my mind for that for these for these spots. Definitely, definitely. We'll now move to the outfield, Alex. Um, my three outfielders. It starts with Giancarlo Stanton, of course, um, being the slugger he is. Uh, also have Gary Sheffield spent six years as a Marlin, and then last but not least, I have Cliff Floyd. Um, main reasons, of course, Stanton really don't really need to talk about. I feel like he is kind of the Marlins uh, franchise guy. Leads, of course, all-time in franchise war. So Stanton is the guy. Also, that MVP season he had, I think it was honestly, it was 59 home runs. Almost had 60 that one season. Was on an absolute tier. But Cliff Lee, I'm sorry, Cliff Lee, Cliff Floyd, six years as a Marlin. Uh, in those six years, Alex, a 294 average and an 898 OPS Almost a 900 OPS in those six years. Really impressive. With a 135 OPS plus, a lot of home runs as well. Uh, and played, of course, on the 97 World Series championship team uh, and left in 2002. And then lastly, I also have the six-year uh, Florida Marlin, Gary Sheffield. Honestly, some insane numbers as well. A 288 average with a 970 OPS, a 156 OPS plus. Uh, and in those six years, 122 home runs. Uh, pretty incredible. That's, I think, honestly, where his uh, huge breakout stride started for his career. I mean, looking at two years back to back, 467 on base and then a 465 on base. Um, honestly, flirted with a 1.1, uh, 1100 OPS two years in a row. Uh, honestly, some pretty insane seasons as a Marlin. So, Travis, my three outfielders are pretty similar, but I made a snub. That really shocked me, but I made oh, it. No. I debated it a long time. I think this was the this, this is the decision I looked at the most, and I just had to do what I had to do. But my three outfielders are going to be Giancarlo Stanton, Cliff Floyd, and Christian Yelich. <laughs> so I actually have Yelich over Sheffield, which is very very surprising even to me. But just looking at the numbers, um, I think I just had to do it. I think a big part of it is the war. I think the defensive liability that Sheffield was, um, the batting is incredible, of course. But I think Yelich was a good batter and a great defender at that time. And you had a great batter in Sheffield, but a really, really terrible fielder. Um, if you look at just their... They both had a very a short stretch with the team. If you look at the war numbers for Sheffield, it's in the first season. It's only like part of a season. It's a point two. And the next two seasons, he's only about a two-point-something war. A two-point-something war means you're, like, a starter uh, in MLB. It doesn't mean, like, you're, like, even an all-star really yet. And then a really great uh, six war in 1996. And then the year after that, it's a 2.6 war. So, overall, one really good six-war year, but the rest are all around the two-somethings. And then Christian Yelich, Travis, his war numbers, um, his first season is just below a two and the next uh, four years are all above a 3.6. So just kind of consistently good, no great year. A, a very nice, uh, almost a five-war season in, in 2016. Never a superstar, but consistently good. Um, I gave him the nod. I gave him the nod. It felt really weird to leave Sheffield off this team completely because we don't have a DH option either for National League. So very true. it felt really weird, but I just had to do it. I just think based on Yelich's war numbers, I just like what I see. No, I, I think the athleticism, of course, goes to Yelich. Um, 
only thing, of course, I think the hitting just has to easily go to Sheffield. Oh, it, it does. There probably some steroid in there. Uh, you know, there who, is. Who, <laughs> yeah, who knows, of course, but uh, uh, no, yeah, it, it's just, I mean, you kind of take what you want. I mean, the one thing that was surprising to me was that Sheffield was not on like the top 12 when it comes to the war. And um, I think the defense was just like, it was so sloppy. It was an yeah. anchor just yeah. bringing his numbers down. Yeah. Yeah. And so honestly, uh, it's almost like a Ryan Howard probably kind of guy, which is uh-huh. crazy that, th- that this young of a franchise and a guy who played six years of great hitting did not even provide himself to be a very valuable war guy. But um, I see where you're coming at. Uh, he is definitely a great pick to have. Um, but honestly, uh, I think of course, Stanton, of course, is a lock cliff Floyd having some great, years. I agree. Those two are uh, locks in my mind. Definitely locks. Sheffield's just kind of a, you know, guy that you want to slide in there as well. And, and they're a really young team right now. M- almost all these positions, maybe, maybe, maybe not Miggy, but um, I think almost every single position is like up for grabs. In, like, no, the next it is. Decade. It is. Honestly, it, is, it 100% is. I feel like they really do not have a guy that has been there for honestly, uh, more than five or more, honestly, more than like. 10 years so right. stanton right now is the only guy i can surely say he is like the he, face of the he franchise has his spot for a while definitely yeah. and so um yeah these lists will be changing honestly this decade i know they have a lot of young guys um so it'll be interesting to see who kind of can take those spots but alex we'll now move to the starting pitching of the florida marlins and miami marlins but i'll go first for me um did of course a little bit of uh, uh cheating with this list uh when it came to guys and you know not playing five years with the Marlins. Some guys had shorter stints. Um, but for me, the list goes Jose Fernandez. Uh, tragically, of course, passed away. I think it was honestly in 20, might have been 2017. He passed away uh, in a boating accident, but was on the start to a great MLB career. He's my number one guy. Number two, I have is Josh Johnson. I think he might be the highest war for a position player for the Marlins. Number three, I have Dontrell Willis. Uh, one of the greatest windups of all time, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Honestly, a great windup for a guy and was very clutch in uh, 2003. Also a very good hitter, uh, hitting pitcher at least. So he is my guy. Next guy I have up is Josh Beckett. Beckett playing five years with the Marlins. Won uh, the deciding game of the World Series against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. I think he had a complete game that year, uh, that game as well. I remember he fielded the ground ball. And I think, I forget which Yankee he tagged out to win the World Series pretty crazy but uh he is my fourth and then lastly i have a guy that only played two years and his name's kevin brown kevin brown of course playing in the late 80s all the 90s and then of course going into the 2000s kevin brown alex two years with the marlins 1996 had a 189 era that season with a 215 era plus and a whip below a one of course so a 944 whip Finished second in Cy Young that week that year. Pretty incredible that he led MLB in ERA that season with an ERA that great. Um, and then the next season, a 2.69 ERA that season and helped them get their first World Series championship. Kevin Brown only played two seasons as a Marlin. A lot of other teams in his career was best known, I think, for a Texas Rangers career, eight years with them and then five years with the Dodgers. Another guy that kind of just bounced around, did not have an identity. And honestly, a guy that you look at his stats very well could get in on a on a veterans committee had a honestly a very solid career as an MLB ball player um almost a 70 war as a starting pitcher so uh pretty incredible to look at all that but that is my starting five Alex who do you got for your starting five yeah so some of the same names some a bit different um I start off with Josh Johnson I go to Dontrell Willis I have Josh Beckett AJ Burnett 
and of course Jose Fernandez has to be in this team. Um, Jose Fernandez, Travis, you covered it well. Tragic death, of course. Um, only played four seasons, but you know, when your numbers are that good for four years, I'm gonna give you the pass. I'm gonna say you're okay. Um, to have like around a 150 ERA plus, actually, it's exactly a 150 ERA plus uh, with the team for your four years there. That's a really special number. A 2.58 ERA is really special for a four-year stretch. Um, almost, I mean, what I'm looking at too, it's almost like it's kind of giving me like Jacob Degrom like vibes. It, it, <laughs> I mean, it is consistently ERA is very good. It is consistently elite. Um, and even Travis, like the FIP numbers are really good. Like you can see, like this was not like some sort of fluke. This guy was putting up really legit stats, even though less than 500 career innings pitched. Unfortunate, of course, tragic death. But um, at the end of the day, uh, he makes the team. Uh, for how good his upside was, uh, you know, if I needed someone in a big moment. Um, and started at age 20. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy how young he was, uh, able to get, you know, four seasons in by age 23. Um, but Travis, I love the Kevin Brown pick. I didn't go there because of the two years. Yeah. But I think <laughs> looking at how good those two years were, it makes a lot of sense for you to include them. The thing I love about his two years the most, both those seasons above a seven war for a pitcher. That's really high. You don't see that very often at all. And one of those years, Travis, he got no Cy Young votes. Where was the Cy Young votes I, I, in 1997? None. No one knows what war is. The, no. the, the year before, he had a, a two in a second place in voting. The year after, nothing. The ERA is a little bit worse, but he you know, pitched you know, more innings. And I think the Atlanta Braves are just stealing them all. He got more strikeouts. So, yeah, I, I think that's a very fair point. But, um, yeah, Travis, at the end of the day, uh, I like the Kevin Brown pick a lot, but I didn't go there just because the, the years played. Um, so, wait, so who did I have that you didn't? I have Johnson, Willis, Beckett, Burnett. You have not Burnett? Is that what it was? I don't have Burnett. Okay. Sure, yeah. So yeah, I'll just I'll just make a brief case for him just because he's like the odd man out, I guess. Overall, he's not someone who I was like super like saying this guy has to be a lock for this team, but based on the options, I'm happy with with kind of you know including him. Uh seven years, a one eleven ERA plus. Uh not super dominant, but you know, his peak season's at around a 121 OPS or ERA plus. So was definitely like almost an all-star level kind of guy, even though he never got the all-star nod with that team. Um, yeah. Had some innings with some really good workhorse kind of, you know, over 200 innings, two different times. But at the end of the day, you know, Kevin Brown, the better pitcher, I'd say Burnett, just more under his belt with the team. So yeah, yeah. arguments for both uh, make a lot of sense. And Burnett was there during 2003. Uh, correct. Uh, yeah, he was okay. there from 99 to 04, okay. 05, 05. Okay, yeah. okay. So, yeah, longevity, of course, there. Um, yeah, it, 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 Kevin Brown, just kind of a freak show season. I had to include that. When you, right. have, you have an ERA that's below, like, a 1-9, it's kind of like, whoa. It catches your eye. It, 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 you step back and say, wow, okay, that's it's below a 2. That's pretty pretty incredible. So, um, that's, of course, one reason to include him. But and also with how being young the franchise is. But um yeah i mean some of these guys just make complete and total sense you know with josh beckett with willis with josh johnson all that stuff so um good starting pitching um not of course not a lot of years to go off of but good starting pitching for this squad hopefully honestly in the next 10 years they're going to have a lot of good starting pitchers that probably will take over this spot well travis um, i mean i think they alcantara. have like <laughs> they, they have well they have alcantara and they have all these other young guys pablo lopez Sixto sanchez um they just traded for uh jesus lazardo so like there's so much young pitching in their system there's gonna be guys on this team in no time i forget their their draft pick last season i can't remember his name it's like jake Myers or something i could be making that up completely. oh you're right you're right yeah yeah is that his name uh, i know his last name is myers yeah okay so yeah. he he uh 
he's like a super highly touted pick yeah. and he's yeah. going to be good someday. So like, there's lots of these guys who are going to be in the come up in the next decade or so. So all these guys that we mentioned, pretty much all of them are, you know, <laughs> we'll be off. <laughs> their spots are not safe. Yeah. Their spots are yeah. not safe uh, honestly, right now, the biggest and the safest spot is Stanton right now on yeah. this list because yeah. it is such a young team with every filled up. Um, Jazz Chisholm could be taking over the spots on a lot of these, but um, that wraps up our starting pitching. Let's go now to the ninth inning closer, Alex. For me, I have Rob Nen. Um, I'll just say same. Two, of course. I feel like he had two kind of careers, one with the Giants, one with the Marlins. Um, World Series championship in 97, and then also going to the World Series in 2002. You summed it up last time. Last pitch he ever threw was to Troy Gloss. But back to the Marlins. Uh, great seasons with the Marlins. I think he honestly leads um, Marlins in saves for the history. Um, you know, consistently getting high up in the saves marks. Third back-to-back seasons with 35 saves, and then in '96 he had a 1.95 ERA that season. Very, very good. Um, did not really get much accolades and awards when it came to the uh, Marlins, but when it came to the Giants, he actually finished fourth in Cy Young one year. But for the for the Marlins. Um, a great closer. Who do you, I mean, you have the same guy? Anything you want to add on him? No, um, I think he was the easy pick. Uh, I love looking at that 2002 stuff because obviously the <laughs> Angels won. But it, Travis, you know what his ERA was that series? It was zero. Those runs that scored on him were inherited. So it's kind of funny how like he gave up the biggest runs of the series, but and just said I'm they're, not even, it up. <laughs> they're not even attributed to him, and then he retires. Yeah, really there's, there's a lot of guys that I feel like retire and they could easily go like even like Seager. I mean, like we just talked about earlier today. It's, yeah, it's there's so many guys that retired that could just go on and God, on and on. But God, Nem was 32. Yeah, I know. It's that's, crazy. That re- is crazy. A, re- a reliever is kind of like a offensive lineman. They they just they they get out of there at, at age 32 and they. I guess they still have a prime of their life to kind of do what they want to do, but yeah, more power to them. Um, so that is the Marlins all-time team for us. We'll now move, of course, into um, the all-time NL East. But of course, I always ask the question, Alex. You know, ranking these five teams, um, give me kind of who you have as your kind of top-tier teams, top two, top three, and then of course your lower tier. If you had to, if you had to make them all into a ranking, yeah. So I think the bottom two are obviously the Marlins, and then followed by the Nationals. Uh, I think just in terms of you know longevity of the team, yeah. it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think saying who's third is kind of hard. The Braves are obviously first in my mind. Yeah. I think the real contest 100%. is between the Mets and the Phillies as who is the good second place pick. And I am going to lean. I'm going to say Phillies are better. I'm going to okay. say Phillies are second. I was going to say third. the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think the pitching is great on both, but the Phillies are just kind of like really sneaky good with that like. Top three of, of Alexander, Carlton, yeah. Roberts, and then the, the bats are going to be it, good. It's almost like the Mets' top three could be better with Seaver, DeGrom, Gooden. But when you look at the overall five, the Phillies' five is outstanding. I mean, it yeah. is it is legendary. Um, and then also, I not, think— Not many holes at all in the Phillies' uh, position players. Not or at the all. the Mets might have a little— Not at all. And honestly, when you look at overall the lineup, too, I think that the Phillies' lineup is uh, stronger as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Phillies, Braves, probably the top. And then, of course, Middles, Mets, and the pack. And then um, Nationals, Marlins, of course, rounding out the bottom. But now moving to the all-time NL East, Alex. Uh, this is where, of course, we put all five teams kind of together and see what we can make in this juggernaut division— um, when it comes to these teams, I'll start it off for catcher. I went with Gary Carter. Uh, main reason Gary Carter played a ton of years for the Mets and a ton of years for the Expos. He played a lot of years in the NL East. I want to include him there. Piazza was my NL West guy. So I wanted to keep him in the NL West. Um, and Gary Carter, I think honestly 
put the stats together. It's a really good career. He is my NL East catcher. Who do you got for yours? We agree. I also have Gary Carter. I like the points you made. Um, I think his war is with with within the division is really great. Uh, had you know multiple years above like a seven war as an expo. Um, did not have the bat that Piazza did, but I think overall more years in the division, more consistency, more better defense. Um, yeah, year in year out was very valuable. Even if the bat wasn't being you know an elite bat, he was an all star. He was getting MVP votes for other reasons. So um, yeah, I also went with Carter. Perfect, perfect. For my right side, Alex, um, one of the guys we actually have been watching in our in our lives. So uh, I went Freddie Freeman first base. And I went Chase Utley second base. That is my right side. Um, basically, I think first base. It's, it's kind of crazy that really there's not too much of um, I would say eliteness on the first base spot for the NLEs. I mean, you run through it. The Marlins and the Nationals really not anybody. The Phillies, of course, you want to go Ryan Howard or Dick Allen. Um, very good players. I think Freddie Freeman definitely being a first base and primary definitely fits the bill there. And of course, better career than Ryan Howard. And with Dick Allen playing other spots, I think Freddie Freeman justifies being there. And then with the Mets, you can go Keith Hernandez. But I think um, Keith Hernandez playing a lot of years with the Cardinals. I think he actually winning an MVP with the Cardinals. One, of course, give it to the all NL East kind of guy, the all-time Braves guy, um, Freddie Freeman. And then Chase Utley again. I think his numbers will be very, very good when it comes to Cooperstown. A great slugging second baseman. Um, he, I think, definitely deserves this list. But who do you got for your right side? Yeah, so uh, we have a difference at first base. I have Dick Allen. Okay. And okay. Um, what your point, your point about him, it stands. It's very true. He did not play a majority of first base as a Philly. He did play a majority of first base when it came to the White Sox. And actually, he, I'm sorry, he actually had two years as a first baseman in his uh, back half of his career and at age 33 and age 34. But um, his primetime offensive years, he was an outfielder and a third baseman. Um, so that's a very fair point. I think that um, my outfield is going to be too clogged up. There's going to be too many, <laughs> it is. too many good players out there. Um, you could very well make an argument for Freeman and have Allen in the outfield, but I think Allen, in my mind, for my team, I can't leave him off, so I'm going to put him at first base. Utley is my second baseman. Utley, we agree. I think that there's no one else. L- looking through the options, it's it, yeah, it, it's yeah. it's pretty slim pickings, and he was the easy pick for me there. Definitely, definitely, definitely that. Um, Alex, Left side, I'll let you start off first. Give me your third base and shortstop picks. Yeah, so Travis, um, there was two. <laughs> there's like so many options for third there, base. It's there, really there funny is, because yeah. I think I have two of my teams, both the Phillies and the Braves, I have a third baseman playing shortstop. Yeah. So yeah. the trend will continue. I have Chipper Jones as my shortstop. And I'm going to have Mike Schmidt as my third baseman. For me, Schmidt is someone I cannot have off this team. He's might be the... He's a top three player in the whole division's history, I think. And then to have a shortstop, I'm going to pick uh, <laughs> another third baseman that you know played some time there that also was a Hall of Famer, and it's going to be Chipper Jones. Travis, who do you have on the left side? So for me, the uh, the buck stopped here. Um, for me, I had Schmidt at third base, of course. I think he definitely ranks higher, in my opinion, than uh, Eddie Matthews and Chipper Jones at third base. Sure. So he is my third baseman. Shortstop, I wanted to keep it, I think, somewhat of consistency and did not want to go into this. I'm not going to say like fantasy land, but I didn't want to not did not want to put down a guy that did not play, you know, more than 100 games at the shortstop position as my all NLEs guy. So honestly, 
it's not a very big list to choose from. I actually went with Jimmy Rollins just because I think um, MVP winner, that's nice to have on that list. And of course, he'll get, I think, some very good consideration for the Hall of Fame. I don't think he is a Hall of Famer at all, but I think he'll get some good consideration. He will be my shortstop. Um, not a very strong, um, honestly, it's it's not really a strong infield in my opinion. I think Mike Schmidt is honestly the biggest, um, is, is the bright spot in this infield, but I think that Rollins will have to play short. I don't want to put Schmidt or also Chipper Jones there. Might have him somewhere else later on in this list, but um, that's going to be my left side of the infield just to keep, I guess, the primary spots available um, on that list. I, I guess I, with, with Chipper, it's just I, I know you want to definitely choose the, the hitting and of course if we're making our list like this you know it's kind of just a fantasy team yeah at the end of the day it's like you know you can do what you want with your team and you can have your you know what you want to build it and i can do the same for mine and i was gonna say that's fine charles you can have rollins i want to hit way more home runs but you said you're gonna have tripper somewhere your, else your list so. is voided nope <laughs> <laughs> that's fake news dude my team's legit so that yeah that 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 that'll, that'll be fun to discuss i guess when we come more towards like nl rankings and also like mlb but um that's going to be our infield um definitely had to squeeze in some guys because the third base spot i will say of course is the most impacted spot of course in out of any division um third mm-hmm. base is insanely talented in this nl east um we'll now move to the outfield alex and i'll give you my three outfielders and also the dh spot because we do are including the dhs in these all division teams so for my outfield, I have Hank Aaron, Andrew Jones, Vladimir Guerrero, and then my DH is going to be the National and Philly, Bryce Harper. After what he did this season, I will include him as a DH. Alex, I do not have Chipper Jones on the starting lineup, so I'll let you give me your starting outfield and DH. I know the face you're making right now. Uh, you probably got some different picks. Yeah, that's very interesting, but that's okay. Uh, I'll go ahead and give my outfield as well as my DH. Um, I went with Hank Aaron, of course. Has to be here. I also have Vladimir Guerrero. My third outfielder is Bobby Abreu, Trevor. <laughs> and I just think I just think that his years with the Phillies are too underrated. Um, his peak years are not going to keep up with, uh, with a guy like Harper, but I think that the... Um, I think that the consistency of being really good and, and a consistent war every year in year out is uh, something I'm happy to have on my team. My DH, Travis, Eddie Matthews. Eddie not, Matthews. Not going to bash that. I'm going to bash Bobby though. But okay, well we can talk about Bobby in a second. But <laughs> to have Travis, I'm a big Bryce Harper guy, but to I have know. him over Eddie Matthews is pretty crazy in my mind. I, you know, so. I know, I know. Honestly, I think it's crazy. I just think that. With and, and this is kind of I guess it, it's a little unfair for me to say it. I just think that what Bryce is trending, um, I agree right, with that right now with being the hitter he is, on base percentage guy he's he's doing so well with that the home runs of course doing very well with that I think honestly he'll be an I think he should be an easy 500 home run guy I think at the end of the day end of his career Bryce Harper will have numbers that will be better than Eddie Matthews that's the only reason why I think I have the DH so I guess it's a little unfair for me to kind of say well, the way he's trending he will be a better hitter than Eddie Matthews possibly even though Eddie Matthews is such a great no, that, hitter that, that that's fair I, I I'm I don't I don't got a problem with that at all I I'm a big Harper guy I think by the end of his career he could be superior to Matthews I just don't think he's there yet um, and, it, that's my opinion. And that's fair to say, too, of course, because he's definitely not there yet because uh, Eddie Matthews is a Hall of Famer. He's a legend. Yeah. He is um, it, so many great things you could say. It, yeah. it, it's a 142 OPS plus 
on the career for Harper, and it's a 143 for Matthews. And Matthews, of course, played for 17 years to Harper is only at uh, 10. But Charles, what I will say is I'm a big peak years guy, and Harper is the peak years for sure. So I'm not going to knock that at all. Um, if you needed like one version of either of these guys, like you can take 2015 Harper or even 2021 Harper, and it's going to be as good as any version of Eddie Matthews for sure. So I will agree with you there. Um, I got no problem with that. Remind me who your uh, outfield trio is because I know you don't have a Brayu. So, yeah, we agreed on Aaron and Guerrero. Yeah. It's the big one, Andrew Jones and Bobby okay. Abreu. So it, it's actually fun we get to bring these up because these are Hall of Fame ballot guys. Yeah. These are and guys Charles, that have been in the ballot for a while too. I will say I don't have much of a problem with Jones because you're going a defensive route and a, you know an elite defender and power. who also has pop. Um, I'm going with the guy who is going to be – an all-time on-base guy, an underrated on-base guy, also going to steal me some bags. But Jones had speed as well. So I think both picks make a lot of sense. Um, you also have like a true center fielder there in Jones. My team kind of has only corner outfielder guys. I'm going to have to either play uh, maybe Hank Aaron in center field. I'm not sure how, how I would do yeah. that. Or, yeah. I don't think I want Guerrero there. But Hey, you know, he could. Expo's Guerrero is pretty good. But no, the one thing I will say, it's funny because you look at Abreu's career and of course playing his later years as an angel and he was still insanely good. The one thing about Jones's career, and this will be fun to talk about when we talk about Hall of Fame uh, Cooperstown, uh, the drop off when he left Atlanta to go to L.A. to join the Dodgers, it was a I mean, he had an 87 OPS plus his last year in Atlanta at age 30. Age 30, hit an 87 OPS plus. I mean, this is supposed to be the prime of your career. Yep. And then he goes to L.A. and has a 35 OPS plus. I mean, he literally was a completely different player. And that's the big question when it comes to his debate. I don't want to talk too much about it now, but that is going to be it, is the drop-off for Jones is something that no Hall of Famer ever does. And so that's why a lot of people have a hard time voting for him because it's it's just it's almost it's almost like – Cody Bellinger this year, but for like the last it, yeah, it, five, six years of his career. It, it's if Cody Bellinger did this for the next five years and then retired. But then, of course, Jones had a much be- much yeah. longer prime. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, the funny comparison you have there. But for me, I guess for choosing him, um, being a part of, you know, right when he started, you know, age 19 and 96 was put into the World Series spot, you know, lime, you know, right, right into the spot of the World Series uh, and honestly flourished. I mean, we're looking at in 96, he played in uh in the uh actually only had one plate appearance in the nlds and walked so he has a thousand on base nice. uh, and then in the nlcs he only batted 222 but did have a really nice slugging finish with a 972 in that ops uh in 12 plate appearances and two hits uh in nine at bats but then the world series of course against the yankees that year batted 400 alex with a 500 on base and a 750 slugging that World Series, he had two homers, one double, eight hits, uh, eight for 22, or I'm sorry, eight for 20, was an absolute kind of the legendary of, the legend of Andrew Jones was born in 96 in that World Series. And then, of course, looking at his seasons after that, um, I mean, we're looking at gold glove, gold glove, gold glove, gold, I mean, every single season, gold gloves. The batting average is what really uh, was something that kind of hurt him, and voters, of course, did not like that when they voted for him for MVPs. Um, and then of course the on base was not something to be very, very impressed about almost like a Javier Baez almost, um, the average in the on base is, uh, very close, not a, not a big Walker. And so, um, I think it just came down to the power and the defense Andrew Jones provides. I think, um, that says it all right there, but, uh, I guess with Bobby, Bobby, of course, is a very different player. He's, he's going to sacrifice the 
power for the batting average and the on-base, pretty much. So Yeah, I think the on-base numbers are really why I like Bobby. Um, but Travis, their war for the career is very similar. Very similar, yeah. And their like, best war seasons, the slight edge goes to Andrew Jones. So I have no problem with that pick. Comparing those two guys, um, they bring completely different skill sets to the table. Um, I think Abreu a bit more consistent. Andrew Jones a bit better peaks. Um, I think the better peak batter, I'm going to lean Abreu, 151 OPS plus. That's fair. Was his best. That's and the, the, the best for Jones is like a 126. It looks like 127 maybe in 2002. But um, the defense he provides is going to be a huge help to your team, of course. Um, so I got no problem with that. And uh, I'm still just kind of, I'm still kind of mind blown. Like, I think, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of how you don't have Chipper Jones. You know and, what? And, and what I'll say is, I think it's just because you feel very dedicated towards keeping guys in their position because you could have put him in the outfield. That's very but, true. But you yeah. made you made the choice saying he's a third baseman and Schmidt's just better. And so I, I I can come to terms with that. For this, and it's it's basically just me looking at it as I want my primaries on this division list. And of course, when we talk about our NL and AL, I'm going to be very strict on I want the primaries. I know we kind of got a little. We get we did get a little cute and funny, I guess, with some of these franchise teams, and, and I think that's fine. I think honestly, it's fine for the NL and AL, but I just want to be. This is the primary list where I want the guy who played, you know, eighty to ninety percent of his career at this spot. For me, it just came down to Chipper. Um, who's better, Chipper or Schmidt? In my opinion, Schmidt's a better third baseman. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I put him in there. Um, but then of course the DH spot had a had a big opening. You could put a lot of different guys there. For me. I just I think I looked at what Bryce Harper's done right now, two MVPs and the way he's trending. That's the real reason I think I went him. But Eddie Matthews, I mean, right now he's a better hitter because you look at the numbers, it's it's all better because Bryce Harper hasn't finished his career. Right. I mean, um, Bryce Harper could literally retire tomorrow and we wouldn't know it. And it'd be like, well, Bryce Harper is a great ball player, you know. Yeah. But um yeah, and I think Chipper Jones, of course, too, being a all around I me mean, looking at his hitting stats. I mean, everything he brought to the table: four hundred on base, a five hundred slugging, a three hundred three batting average. I mean, I could have easily sit him in the DH spot too. But um, yeah, that's that, that's my. That's why we got a bench, right, Travis? That's why we got a bench. Exactly. We're not talking Johnny Bench. We're talking a bench. <laughs> we're talking. We're talking three guys <laughs> sitting pine, waiting for their turn to be in this team. And that is where you will find my Chipper Jones. So Chipper Jones will be there, um, sitting alongside Dale Murphy. And also sitting alongside Giancarlo Stanton. Wow. <laughs> Surprised. Okay, so I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you mine and we'll talk. Three completely different players. I have Tim Raines. I think he's going <laughs> yep, yep. to be a great defensive sub for like a Guerrero or a Brayu. Base, or he, could be, he could be a pinch runner. I like having Tim Raines in this team. My big lefty pinch hitter is going to be Freddie Freeman. Okay. So he was on your starting team. So he makes my bench. And who was and Dick um, Allen was your first baseman? Right. Okay. So I got even yeah. up, I got a platoon thing going yeah. there too. Righty lefty. So I kind of like that. And then my uh third bench spot Travis is going to Mike Piazza. Okay. Just another catcher. If Gary Carter is having a bad day at the plate, I can go, <laughs> I can I can go offensive if I need to. And that was a guy that was definitely my thought process when it came to it. Cause it's like you gotta have that catcher bench guy and Piazza, it's like you know, he's right there with Carter. It's just with the longevity, mm-hmm. but um, Talk to me about about uh, Stanton because I, I can tell you kind of paused there. You were kind of ready to reveal that. So how how'd you get to that point where you, you said know, Stanton's on my team? I guess it's just because you need that. I, I go back to also the the um, the clutch hit in uh, in Iowa in uh, the corn oh, the cornfield where yes. he did have that very clutch home run in the late part of the game. Uh, you know, looking at his career, honestly, I mean, with Miami, uh, 
he had a 147 OPS plus in his elite eight years batter. in Miami. No, An no elite doubt. power batter. I just figured you might as well get one of the greatest power hitters in the game to be on your bench uh, for a pinch hit opportunity. Uh, finished with an MVP, a silver slugger, and then, of course, in 2014, second MVP that year. Um, I'm honestly a little stunned to it myself. Um, no, no, I mean, no Matthews, no Eddie Matthews. And for what he was able to provide, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm still stunned right now that I did not really, um, maybe I'm kicking my own self right now, but yeah, I did not film in there. I just felt like with the spots that I had, Bryce Harper is the only thing that I guess is my, is he's my joker. He's my wild card because I guess I just am looking at what he's trending to, and I guess I'm, I'm guess I'm thinking ahead a little bit too, where I'm, I'm that, thinking, and, and that's fine because there's other. Picks. He'll be an all NL East guy in his in when his career ends. Yeah. So basically, he is the DH in my opinion, and what he's able to do this past season, I love to see that. Um, and so right now, Bryce Harper DH, and then of course the bench, um, Dale Murphy, another guy that's kind of like honestly he could even replace, uh, you know. Dale Murphy with Eddie Matthews. It's crazy that Dale Murphy makes the list, but not Eddie Matthews. For me, Dale Murphy also um, being an elite outfielder uh, for that. So uh, Stanton, you could literally put as a pinch hitter for, honestly, any of the outfielders and the DH. And then, of course, Dale Murphy can just fit into any of the outfield spots. So can Chipper, but Chipper also can play left side infield. So um, that is going to be my offense. Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of disagreements, which actually made for some good conversations, I think. Um, it definitely did, For the yeah. bench and the position players. But let's move on to uh, pitching staff, Travis. Why don't, why don't we? Definitely, definitely. I'll let you start first with this. Okay, so sounds good. Uh, there are so many options. This, this was a tough one. There are so many people to choose from. I think I started out by just making a list of like people who could make this team. I had like 12 guys. You have like a fifth list of 15. You're like, okay, now I got to start cutting guys. Who do yeah. I cut? Like, There's too many names. So, Travis... There's going to be elite Hall of Fame pitchers off this list, just to just give a preview to the to the listeners. But <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start off with Pete Alexander. For me, he has to be here. Um, you, you might not have him. I have no idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it could be very easy for someone to make a team and leave him off. But for me, uh, he's going to be my dead ball guy in this team, dead ball era pitcher. But uh, one of my favorite guys to look at his numbers. Um, he's my ace. I have Steve Carlton as well. Um, the Cy Young Awards are off the charts. Um, some really good peak years and pitched for a really long time. Third on my team, Greg Maddox. I think he has to be here. One of the best primes of any pitcher. His name will be coming up when we do our all NL, our all NL team. I'm sure of it. Um, Tom Seaver also makes my team. Another guy who's like the face of his own franchise. Um, probably, you know, Mr. Met in a lot of people's minds. Um, Seaver makes my team. My fifth pick. Drum roll, please. <laughs> I go Jacob Degrom. Okay, I think he's there. Um, I I wasn't bagging on your Bryce Harper pick that much because I knew I had Degrom here, and it's kind of a bit of projecting because I just know that in a couple years he's gonna be, you know, above the Scherzers, above the Goodens, um, guys like Glavin and Spawn had much longer. Uh, much more longevity to their Hall of Fame careers, yep. but DeGrom is on a fast track to the Hall of Fame, and his peak seasons are as good as anyone else, minus maybe that one Duck Gooden year, but I think DeGrom's peak four or five seasons, it's going to be some of the best ever when it's all said and done. So he's my fifth guy. Travis, tell me who your five is. Alex, we we think very much alike. No way. When Talk we, to me. We, Talk to me. We think very much alike in that DeGrom was my sixth. 
Oh, okay. He he okay. he was so close to making this list. What I had, in my opinion, he put up better numbers than Scherzer. Scherzer and, and Strasburg. I agree. I said to myself, you know what? They Scherzer had a great career in Detroit. I'm not I'm gonna I'm not gonna put him on this list because he's had other good stints on other leagues. So Scherzer will not make this list. Um, so my but fifth guy. Something I will actually add real quick. I just realized Scherzer could be in this list. In two years, after this Mets deal, he's on. You're you're kind very of true. I, you're, that's very true. I did not think about that as well. And with Degrom, the way he's trending, um, he will be on this list in probably, like you said, three five years if if everything goes well well and he's staying with the Mets. But I had Maddox, Seaver, Alexander, Carlton, and my last guy was going to be actually it is it's Warren Spahn. Okay, um, nice. I guess for me with Warren Spahn, honestly, it's it's just longevity, and I I just get. I don't know. I just I, I get kind of just this crazy like I just look at guys and I don't know if it's a bad thing, but it's just when I look at guys and I see military service and I just see the careers they had, I just kind of say like what what you, you could have been so much. Yeah, your numbers could have been so much higher. I, I mean, I'm, that's a great point. There's so many guys. Ted Williams, of course, being number one, but there's so many guys I look at and I just say, what if? What if there was no war? What if he didn't go to play? Because it did not. It it didn't honestly. It didn't affect. You, you missed three years, but you also probably missed years in 1942, only had four games in 42. So he definitely right. probably had to leave early. And then in 1946, only pitched uh, 24 games. When you look at his career, it that really th- hit five seasons almost. It pretty much hit five seasons. And so you look at all the numbers and you can do all the trends. You're literally looking at a 400 game winner. And ERA, honestly, could be a little bit higher, could be a little bit lower. I really don't know. But of course, you're looking at probably 3,000 strikeouts. You're looking at, honestly, close to 6,000 innings pitched. I mean, you're looking at numbers that are really high up there with like a guy like Cy Young. I mean, honestly, Warren Spahn could be, um, he could be number two on the all time win total. He could have 100 more wins and could be a 400 and almost 475 win guy, something like that. But honestly, I thought he was definitely a guy that deserved to be on this list. Crazy that a guy that only has one Cy Young and he has so many second place Cy Young finishes. And a lot of, there's a lot of great years overall. Definitely, definitely. But for me, again, DeGrom, man, he was, I, I was making this list and I was just thinking, man, no, I'm fine who, with that. who I'm do I, I mean, DeGrom, it, it just sucks because I, I want to respect the old guys and DeGrom still has the momentum that he will be on this list in no time. But that's my five, Alex. Um, but honestly, yeah. what you said was perfect. And when you were saying each name, I was like, okay, good. Okay, good. But we yeah, agree. We agree. Pete yeah, Alexander, yeah. insanity. And Pete Alexander, what he did. Steve Carlton, four Cy Youngs. All, everything that he brought to the table, the wins and also the innings pitch. And then, of course, for me, Greg Maddox. I mean, one of the all-time greats. And then Tom Seaver, again. Just, uh, Tom Seaver was a guy that I was looking at with him and DeGrom. And I'm like, do I put DeGrom ahead of Seaver? But I honestly, um, you respect what Seaver did and what he was able to bring to the table. Um, also, I kind of kind of just being Mr. Met, I can't really replace DeGrom with him yet. But um, that's my five. Yeah, I love. Yeah, the only difference we have is Spawn and Degrom, and I'm not going to argue that at all. Um, Spawn has a legendary career, and Travis, looking, looking at some of those years lost and kind of expanding on those p- great points you made. Um, a hundred and one, sorry, a hundred point one career WAR for Warren Spawn. That's good for eleven. That's sorry, that's good for yeah, eleventh all time among starting pitchers. You give him, what is it, sixteen point three more war which is probably doable in those games he missed it's not a lock for him to get that but if he got that in those four years he missed or whatever it was 
he would be fifth all time in war for pitchers, so starting pitchers. So that would just be such an, a crazy milestone that he could have, you know, gotten to if he had that, um, you know, that uh, that military service, you know, if he didn't have to worry about that. But Travis um, Spawn is for sure a legend. I'm not going to argue that um, at all. He, it, it, and it's pretty crazy with this entire rotation that we, at least the ones that um, that I named out, you know, everyone has a war above 90. Steve Carlton is the only one who has a 90.2 war. Everyone else on my list, at least, has a 100 or higher war, which is just kind of like the longevity with these guys. Um, it's it's just it's something yeah. else when they're, it comes they're to baseball. In, they're all inner circle pretty much. And then I have DeGrom, who I think could get there someday. But Easily. Um, he, he Right now, I mean, he, in my opinion, he's on the fast track. He will be there. He is inner circle. He's already a Hall of Famer. He, he's in, I think we said this way, way early on in our early episodes. Him and Trout are just in a class of their own. I mean, they are so much better than the competition. I guess Scherzer kind of is knocking on the door for DeGrom, but, um, and no one else really is knocking on the door, I guess, for Trout for what he's able to provide. But, I mean, it's it's truly remarkable, at least we're watching these two legendary guys that, honestly, for the rest of our lives, we'll be able to talk about, you know, how special these guys are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah, great points all around. Um, so you have to move to the bullpen now? Let's move to the bullpen again. A very uh, a, a scary bullpen, I will say as well um, for this list. Um, I'll go first, Alex. For my three bullpen guys, so my first guy I have is John Smoltz. John Smoltz having a secondary kind of career as a bullpen reliever, a good closer. He is going to make my list. Also have John Franco as my second setup man, and then my closer. I went with Craig Kimbrell. Um, that's my three. I think it's. It's a very good righty lefty seventh, eighth, ninth kind of good to close it down. Honestly, with the starting pitching, though, you don't even need a closer. They're just going to get the job done. They're going to throw nine innings. But who do you got for your three? Exact same, exact same. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we agree. Almost um, a perfect eight for our starting for our yes, pitching. Yes, yes. That's and then yeah, our one difference was like a drastic like active player versus like hundred WAR guy. But um, it's funny how our offense was so different, and then our pitching was just just yeah really similar yeah. and it's surprising because there were so many options for these starting pitchers but we still ended up being so similar but yeah i think kimbrell i think he earned the ninth inning i think the peak even though he's still active the peak years he had in atlanta he earned the ninth inning i think smoltz is going to be great back there and franco is the lefty who also accumulated so many saves in his career he has to be in the team too i think um but yeah i think it's a pretty easy bullpen i think those three stand out amongst the rest um honestly and i'm glad to keep smoltz on the team even though the starting pitching was way too stacked to have him in there, but you know he found his way into the pen, which is going to be a, a good spot, I think. Very good NL East. Um, a lot of players. It's kind of funny. You literally look at this list, and it's 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 a lot of guys. You know, '90s to now. Um, a yeah. lot of good guys. I mean, thank you to that Braves team. They provide a lot of guys that are literally um, on this list for a reason because well, cause, how cause special they were. We're talking about the Phillies. And you were talking about their franchise breakdown of like the names, and like you were saying, like 1800s, they were around. And then, but it, it's it's funny that almost the entire All Phillies team is like modern players, or like at least like last couple decades. But it's kind of funny. And literally, I think my whole entire team is, except for Pete Alexander, everyone on this list is literally 1950s and up. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, pretty much just literally the last like 70 years of baseball. When you look at some of the other lists we made, I mean, we're going back to 1912. I mean, so uh, kind of crazy when you look at that stuff. But um, that that pretty much says it all for for the NL East. Yeah, Travis, that pretty much wraps up the episode. Um, yeah, I think it's time for us to move on to our our all time American League and National League team, as well as our all time MLB team. So you guys have that to look forward to in in the next episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. 
But uh, for the time being, Travis, this episode, we're going to conclude it. We're going to move on. So if you made it this far, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you guys very soon. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>